0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call
0: the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. Your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning to you. mm mm Feeling good. Man, it's like a it's like a hot box in our studio today. It is warm. What is the deal with that? What have you been doing in here, Ben? Did you just cool it down from the sweat lodge that uh, you did this morning?
3: No, it was jazzercise. Oh,
2: jazzercise. Yeah. I could smell the jazz in here. Hey, uh, great uh, day, great show today. Today we'll be talking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, and just <laughs> find out what is going on with the Speaker of the House election. Holy cow, I think McCarthy thought he had a little cakewalk there. And then all of a sudden Jason Chaffetz is in. He's in the game. Little little infighting going on. It's gonna get crazy. Jason Chaffetz uh he put his hat in the ring. He's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run for this. I'm gonna do it. It's almost like he's saying, I don't wanna do it, you know, I'm doing it to help people to bridge the gap. You know, apparently there is a a group of Republicans, 40 to 50 or so, that are a little more conservative. Some might say they're the old Tea Party or, you know, affiliation. New name.
4: There's a different name.
2: New name today. They're called the Freedom Fighters. The Freedom – I forgot the – Let Freedom Ring. The the Freedom Caucus. There you go. And they're the ones that basically are taking credit for getting Boehner to leave – But then Boehner was, you know, he said, great, then let's just have Kevin McCarthy take over. Which, you know, looked like a no-brainer, looked like everybody was going to go that way, except McCarthy then stepped in it, made some comments about the Benghazi hearings, and boy, now people are ticked, Jason Chaffetz is running. Now, Jason is from Utah, so we'll uh, we'll be talking to Joe Cannon about Jason Chaffetz. And... Hillary Clinton on Saturday
4: Night Live, there's just something that's not right. Why not? Why don't you like a presidential candidate <laughs> on Saturday Night it Live? It doesn't seem presidential. It's not supposed to. When
2: she's acting like a bartender okay. named Val, Val. it just doesn't seem, I mean, it's funny, it just doesn't seem presidential.
4: Bill Clinton, saxophone, Arsenio Hall, was that yeah. presidential? That was way back, by the way.
2: Well, in a way, that's a little more presidential because it is a saxophone. Uh, okay. He wasn't acting. He was playing.
4: What he, about all the candidates who've gone on yeah. uh, Jimmy Fallon and slow jammed the news? Horrible. Wrong, bad but idea. But it's funny, right? Yeah. They have multiple levels of demographics they're trying to reach. Right. There's a certain demographic that watches Saturday right. Night Live, a certain that watches all the late night shows. Yeah. And then there's another one that watches all the news channels, and so you have to present a different message to each of them, and this is how they get to them is through humor. Well, maybe what you should do is just go do a serious interview. Nobody watches that. No, they're not going to do that. It's not the demographics. It's not the show. Just advertise during the show. (laughs) No one watches commercials. Then give up that constituency. Then you don't win because you just lost a big chunk of the country. So then what
2: we're saying is you have to go be a goofball. Yes. And act, even it's, though you're not an actor. No. And that's your president. See, that is messed up. We've created monsters. <laughs> then they think they can go get their own show if the presidency doesn't work, a la Donald Trump.
3: Then... Sarah Palin. A la yeah. Sarah well, She
4: just set up her own, own network that kind of fell apart. But yeah, whatever. Anyway, it just seems weird to me. So we have to ask
2: Joe Cannon what <laughs> he thinks about that. I mean, it's so weird seeing a, your potential future president saying, and now Miley Cyrus. Well, she didn't. No, she did. She introduced Miley. And it just was weird. It's just weird. Your president ought not be introducing
4: the musical guests on Saturday Night Live. At what point in at one point in the history of our country, the presidents didn't even campaign. I know. Let's go back to that. They sat in their office and they had people out there campaigning for them, and What's it was the... seen as very uh, oh, beneath a... the office to I even know. try. What a great idea! And then it changed. Wouldn't you love to get back to that? No.
2: Do you want to see a year and a half of this? This is well. Weird.
4: No, I think there should be a, a starting point. We should have a day. Maybe in, like, March of the year of the actual election where they start running for the office? That's a great idea. I, I think it really ought to be more of
2: a run, a race, where we, they really do run. You line up all the candidates. Okay. Fastest three.
4: So it's a physical challenge. Yeah. Okay. Start there. Then move on to the debate?
2: Then, yeah, then get to, like, a, like an evening gown thing. Oh,
4: wow. Yeah. Okay. Or eventually a swimsuit thing. This one a whole different direction. Nice. Uh, kind of weird. Then
2: talent. They can all showcase a talent. I think Trump would win that. Oh, Trump would totally win.
3: Like that's his field.
2: But I think Hillary's probably fast. She's probably a fast runner.
4: I mean she's pretty quick. Yeah.
2: Looks light. She's not an actress. No. But the way they – that's what's great about Saturday Night Live is none of them really are very good actors. Miley's no. a great actress. Miley Cyrus. I mean – She had a TV show. That sounds weird to say that. But compared to the rest of the actors, she's really good at doing – right. Sketch comedy.
4: It's been her life, the entirety of it.
2: Um, today, by the way, which has
4: probably added to other problems in her life.
2: We exactly. Uh, <laughs> we have to celebrate other. Uh, by the way, did you see, Miley broke down crying, singing a, singing a song. It was a, and then she broke down because it was a song, a tribute to her Blowfish. Okay. And do you watch Saturday Night Live? Uh, a little bit. Okay. I, I didn't. I watch the reruns of it. Oh, okay. But, yeah, Miley had a bad night. She started crying. It was it was a beautiful song. But then it was a better blowfish, I guess, that died. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Hey, uh, a couple of days we have to celebrate today. World Teachers Day. Mm. We all love teachers, right? This one reminds me of uh, Ben, Chic Spy Day.
4: Yes. Yeah. I, I tried to hopefully find a different name on that one. Yeah, that's hard. But I, there is no official name other than that, so.
3: I thought it was Chick Spy Day. Yeah,
4: you would. Yeah, you would. You're unrefined.
2: Um, it's National Do Something Day. Do Something. Which is also, oh, oh sorry, Do Something Nice Day. Oh. Because I, I thought, again, there's two for Ben. Um, just do something. But he could still do something nice today. <laughs> National Child Health Day. Yeah. Great. It's a it's a day full of days.
4: So like, no one's really against teachers, right? No, everyone loves teachers. And pe- I think the majority of people are going to be for child health. For sure. And so, being nice. And being nice. It's just the chic spy day. Well, it's the anniversary of Dr. No yeah. being released, and as I thoroughly enjoy that movie.
2: Now, do you? Now do you? Do oh, you. I've tried to get into that, and I can't get into that.
4: One of the greatest gifts I received, looking at Amazon.com, yeah. they had all the James Bonds on oh, DVD. That'd be cool. That'd like be cool. One hundred dollars. Normally, it's about five or six. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that looks like a good deal. And then I just I wouldn't do it. While I'm doing this and debating, my wife jumps on the website, buys it, has it waiting for me for Christmas when, when I decided loves against you. it. Oh, of course. What's she not the love?
2: By the way, it went to Sam Smith and listened uh, they but he didn't sing the song. Yeah. The new Bond
4: song. I'm really concerned Do about that. Do
2: you like the new Bond song?
4: I haven't I haven't heard it. I usually try to wait till I watch the movie. I because guess it's most of them are kind of hey, hit the whatever. top of the
2: charts in England,
4: I guess. Of
2: course. You know. But England, you know, they bring all of the great talent, all the great stories, all the great movies, shows come from England. I don't know if you know that. Not all of them. All of them. In Canada.
4: Of, a lot of them are filmed there, but Mm, they're really, the greatest. Yeah. And Canada's TV tends to be kind of like the bee stuff you see during the summer. What's wrong with that? I don't know. It kind of just fills the time. Yeah. Hey, do you have any headlines for us? Because uh, this is a big headline day. I have a few. Let's hit it. Good morning. Seven are dead in torrential <laughs> rainstorms in South Carolina uh, Sunday, prompting officials to warn residents to stay in their homes, causing uh, the, the reports are at least five to seven deaths across the region. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley.
0: We haven't seen this level of rain in the low country in a thousand years. That's how big this is. This is an incident we've never had before because it's water and it's slow moving and it's sitting and we can't just take the water out.
4: 18 inches of rain in areas of Central and South Carolina on by early Sunday. Forecasts predict another 2 to 6 inches through Monday. Five weather-related deaths, including three fatal traffic accidents, were reported in South Carolina, while officials also recorded another two deaths in North Carolina. More than 250 roads across the state remain closed. Officials have responded to nearly uh, 1,200 distress calls and more than 300 collisions. It's chaos. Oh, that's sad. It's chaos. They are. Uh, if you've seen the, any of the television coverage, just rivers and sinkholes and things are destroyed. So they're really... That's 100 years. Doctors Without Borders has uh, withdrawn from a northern city in Afghanistan after 19 people at a medical charity clinic were killed Saturday in a US airstrike. The US military has acknowledged that the Doctors Without Borders clinic may have been hit while the US was carrying out the strikes. It is under investigation mm. of the 37 people working at that facility, 19 in the staff or 19 in the clinic were killed. Jason Chaffetz, officially running for the House Speakership, he announced that on uh, Fox News I am announcing my intention
5: to run for Speaker of the House of Representatives. We were entrusted by the American people with the largest majority the Republicans have ever had since Babe Ruth was swinging the baseball bat. But they didn't send us here to perpetuate the status quo. They want us to tackle the tough issues. They don't want us to fight. They want us to they want us to fight. They want us to take that fight to the Senate. They want us to take that fight to the President. And they want us to take that fight to the American people.
4: He'll likely go up against Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy for the Speakership. Uh, John Boehner is set to step down October 30th. Mm. New polls out. Donald Trump remains ahead in the early republican nominating contests in Iowa and New Hampshire. His lead has shrunk from a month ago, according to new NBC-Wall Street Journal-Marist poll. The New Hampshire Trump holds a five-point lead, advantage over Carly Fiorina. Among GOP primary, 21% to 16%, followed by Jeb Bush, third at 11%. In Iowa, Trump was ahead of Carson by five points among GOP caucus goers, 24 to 19. Fiorina is third at 8%. Mm, yes. So things are shifting around a bit. Um, and an intensive search resumed on Sunday in the southeastern Bahamas for a U.S. cargo ship with 33 people on board that has not been heard from since it lost power and was taking on water it was, as it was battered in fierce seas turned up by uh, Hurricane... Um, What was the name of the hurricane? Joaquin. That's right, Joaquin. Joaquin. U.S. Coast Guard, Navy, and Air Force planes and helicopters were expected to spend the day looking for the ship across a broad expanse. The 790-foot El Farco ship, uh, they found a debris field on Sunday. Uh. 225 square miles of wood, cargo, and other items floating around. It's in the Bermuda Triangle. That's where this happened. Oh, is it really? It's right in that region. So there's a lot of like oh you'll never
2: know. Do they have white do they have black boxes, I mean?
4: I yeah. They, will they will have we the, ever
2: know what took this ship I mean this is a huge cargo ship, right?
4: Yeah. Well it was taking. it says the it lost power, it was being you know Just it was in the middle of a hurricane. Then the question is why do you set sail in the middle of a hurricane? Yeah. Why because why they, do you make yeah. that choice? They
2: probably thought they'd outmaneuver it, but not in the Bermuda Triangle. Apparently not. Scary.
4: Uh and for the first time in six years, no NFL players were arrested for an entire calendar month. Woo-hoo! The last arrest in 2015 occurred August 26 when the linebacker from the 49ers, Ahmaud Brooks, was charged for misdemeanor, sexual battery. What's more, September was also the first time in 15 years that the NFL didn't have any arrests in its first month of the season. So re- re- say that one more time. So it's the first time in 15 years that the NFL didn't have any arrests in the first month of the season. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Wow. Wow. NFL go NFL. This is great news. Yeah, this is news that we need. People need to be talking about more. First time in six years, no one was arrested for an entire calendar month. Oh, beautiful!
2: You know why? Because the LDS Church had general conference. Um, and all of the football players knew. Let's the Pope was in town. General conference. Let's keep it clean.
4: Those things transpired around the same time. Keep it clean. Don't think they were connected in any way. Are you sure? Fairly sure. I am so proud of the NFL.
2: It's also because a lot of them are beat up. Yeah, <laughs> they're all too tired. They're, they're tired all in they're rehab hurt. right now. The Absolutely. Re- the physical rehab. Not the so
4: that's rehab. good. No arrest for well, this great. month. No arrest in the first part of the season. proud. It's great.
2: Beautiful. Well done, NFL. <laughs>
4: That's
2: that just so sad. So sad. But how many arrests did we have in Congress? That's what we've got to figure out. Hey, coming up in just a minute, our Washington insider Joe Cannon will be joining us. We are going to be talking about all things uh, political. We're going to be talking about uh, Kevin McCarthy's uh, you know, goal to become Speaker of the House. Jason Chaffetz has now stepped in the game. See how he's going to do there. Also, we'll be talking about... Uh, A little bit about Hillary Clinton, some of the poll numbers that are going on. The whole uh, Secret Service thing that they were looking into records about Jason Chaffetz. This is scary, man. Scary. And Obama's comments on gun control. All of that up next, folks, uh, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, on the phone, um, Joe Cannon is with us. He uh, is our Washington insider. He's here to give us the, you know, the behind the scenes, the insight, what's really going on behind some of these stories that you hear about in the news. You know, Kevin McCarthy was, uh, um, I believe he was the majority, the majority, what do they it, majority leader in the Speaker of the House under John Boehner. And John Boehner's done, you know. At the end of October, he's he's walking away from the speakership, from also uh, politics in general, it looks like. He's just done. And we're now finding out why. Um, In fact, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy was running and then made a comment that really messed up, uh, you know, a lot of feelings. A lot of people were frustrated thinking, are you kidding me? Kevin McCarthy basically said the the reason the Benghazi—didn't say it, but agreed that the reason the Benghazi thing's going on is because, it, you know, it's impacting Hillary Clinton's numbers. It's, it's hurting her. So that's—this is good. This is working. But we shouldn't be doing investigations into Benghazi because it's going to impact a candidate's numbers, right? Anyway, it, it upset a lot of different constituencies on the, at least the GOP side— of the House, so we wanted to talk to an expert, our Washington insider, Joe cannon. Joe has been chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day um, uh, here in the state of Utah was also a Senate candidate in the state of Utah, also was an assistant administrator with the u s uh, EPA agency from eighty three to eighty five and was an editor of the Deseret news um, back in the day as well. so we were just here to pick his brain and Joe enlighten us how are you joe welcome to the show
6: hey thanks matt thanks for having me
2: you bet thanks for uh thanks for doing this because you know you're always busy you're on the way somewhere i know you're flying out uh, in a few minutes and i wanted to ask you joe what do you think about jason chaffetz putting his hat in the race for speaker of the house
6: well i you know i think your lead-in was pretty accurate in that uh of course, lots of Democrats were happy with McCarthy's statement because that's a, yeah. a perfect uh, television commercial for for uh, Secretary Clinton. So you know they they they're happy, but they, the, the conservatives were unhappy because uh, you you need to have somebody who's going to really represent you well in public. Yeah. when you make when you make a statement like that. Uh, by the way, the statement was only stating a fact, sort right. Hillary. But the the whole spin on it it was completely negative on both sides of the aisle. And now that, that I say, hey, why why even if you're a conservative, why even bring that up that well,
2: way? Well, this sounds like this goes to the argument Hillary Clinton has that there's a right wing conspiracy that's just trying to bring Absolutely.
6: her down. Exactly. Yeah. So so it plays into her talking points, and it definitely doesn't play into the. Republicans in general talking points, but conservatives in particular, who think mm. they're doing, you know, being really virtuous on the thing. So I think that is what got uh, uh, Congressman Chaffetz into the picture. There is another person also uh, that's kind of a, you know, more hardcore with the Tea Party caucus, uh, curiously, interestingly named Daniel Webster, who, from Florida? Who's also throwing his hat in? you've got you've got two. In yeah,
7: there.
6: and so, uh, so I don't he, know. I mean, I think uh, McCarthy's still the you know the odds-on favorite.
7: He
2: has the majority of votes, uh, Chaffetz says. Right. So right. so I get. Let me get this straight. You you help me understand this. So about there's there's 246 or so Republicans, and uh, McCarthy, I guess, has the ability to move about 208. 218? Well, no, they need 218 votes to get stuff passed. Right. But but McCarthy and, uh, well, and, and no, no, Boehner... No, no, no,
6: no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They need 218 votes to for the Speaker. I mean, to get... Oh, to get... But, right. But, but the, the, the curious thing is, you know, everyone votes for the Speaker. Everyone gets them and votes for somebody. Yeah. And so um, you're going to have uh, people voting for... now. I've, well, I'm guessing Nazi blows. Actually, I haven't even heard on the Democrats side, but normally it's a foregone conclusion. Interesting. Uh, it's a, normally a foregone conclusion that the party and the majority wins. Okay, that's the that's the foregone conclusion. The the, the wrinkle here is, is that if you've got thirty to fifty or so uh, uh, people who are not going to vote for McCarthy, then he's not going to get 218. Oh, okay. So that's the leverage that, that the, that the uh, so-called Freedom Caucus, Tea Party Caucus has. Interesting. And so yeah, they can say, well, you know, we're going to deny you that. Now that doesn't mean that the Democrats are going to win. It just means you're going to be a stalemate for a while. I, I'm going to predict it's not going to get there. This is all going to get resolved before they do the vote. You know what,
2: let's Uh, let's, here's a clip of Jason Chaffetz talking about how he would bridge the gap of those numbers.
5: I will walk out of there and support the nominee. I hope it's me. I'm trying to fight for that. But if it's Kevin McCarthy, I will support it. But he still has the math problem. It still can't get to 218. And I hope we can avoid those problems, bridge the gap, turn the fight instead of internally, turn that fight to the Democrats and fight for the things that we all came to Congress for.
2: Is this why there's been. Uh, kind of a a stalemate in legislation, is it because the Republicans in Congress, they're not unified enough to push through kind of a majority legislation on anything?
6: Yes, because, I mean, a number of the... One of the reasons for the disaffection for uh, Speaker Boehner is that for a number of votes, he's had to rely on Democrats to vote how he wants... To get a majority Republican bill passed, but to do that, he's had to make, make compromises, mm. and that's that's what's driving uh, the Freedom Caucus crazy. Now, one interesting dynamic with uh, with with McCarthy slash Chaffetz is that uh, I don't know where Mia Love is on this, but I I heard last week from their own mouth that uh, Congressman Bishop and Congressman Stewart. Are supporting McCarthy?
2: Oh yeah. So are they, yeah. Are they going to pull away too?
6: Now, that was before Kevin's made his announcement. But I, I'm guessing that you know these guys are very strong, uh, in, in strong positions and have benefited from leadership themselves. Yeah. And 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 Stewart. So I, I'm guessing that you, you're going to have at least some kind of a split in the Utah delegation. Yeah. Which would be kind of interesting. Well, there's a
2: plus. I mean, Chaffetz benefited from McCarthy, right? He even gives credit to McCarthy for getting this majority in Congress. Um, right. And then Boehner and McCarthy, as the leaders, ended up also giving him a really important chair over the oversight committee. So he's, he's benefiting greatly. What happens to a Jason Chaffetz for having reached to touch the crown if he loses?
6: Well, I mean, it, it'd be different if he had opposed the speaker initially, Speaker Boehner's reelection. Most of the people who did that paid a very severe price. People got kicked off committees. In fact, this this fellow running from Florida, Daniel Webster, was on Rules, which is uh, you know the least known but one of the most important committees there, and he was booted off that immediately. Was he really? Uh,
7: and other others
6: also lost their committee chairs. And some plum assignments. Running, running in an open competition is not quite so so deadly, but for sure, uh, you know, especially if if uh, it causes a you know big imbroglio, uh, even it, it, it's gonna it McCarthy's gonna remember what uh, uh, how that plays out. Yeah, who knows, but, um,
2: What's what is the scuttle you hear behind the scenes of of his comment in general about the Benghazi hearings? I mean, oh, your speaker that's... has to speak, right? They have to be pretty press savvy, media savvy.
6: Well, it, I I believe it's the thing that triggered Chafin, and 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 Jason wouldn't be doing this if he didn't think he had a reasonable shot or some shot at winning. So I don't think he just did this unilaterally. He must have talked to some colleagues that also, for various reasons, but Benghazi in particular, worried about where McCarthy would would take would take the speaker. Yeah. So I, I think there's I don't know I don't know what I just said, but I'm 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 certain that that uh, Congressman Chaffetz would have spoken to other people about this before he threw us at it.
2: Well, and it's it's they're making hay on MSNBC about it because now Rachel Maddow had a whole segment about how illiterate uh, McCarthy is showing every mistake he's ever made on the House floor or in the media talking about, I mean, like making words up and not making sense. And I mean, I don't know. It's this is I guess this is politics.
6: Well, it's politics. But just, just to be fair, Kevin McCauley is a pretty smart guy, yeah. And uh, he, he didn't get to be majority leader by not being smart. He's, he's a smart, capable guy, and you can take anybody. Imagine Rachel Maddow. Oh, uh, that, oh, she would never. Anybody? But just, just say, just take Hillary Clinton. Take oh yeah. Joe Biden,
2: or take, take the Pope, Barack Obama. Right. Take
6: any any public figure who said twenty nine words or more in public, and she's going to have. Gas, yeah, totally. Could be made to look like gas.
2: Oh yeah, well, I mean, in that you can't deny the success McCarthy's had at winning and being a part of winning the biggest majority in a long time for the GOP and the Republicans. It's just can they, can they get anything done with the Democrats? I guess is the deal.
6: Well, um, as you pointed out a little bit earlier, in the, in the House, the Democrats don't matter. Well, the minority party doesn't matter except in the situation you have now where the majority party is really two parties. Yeah. So in in, in a certain de facto way, uh, sense, you've got three parties uh, in, in the house, I used to say when I was chairman of the Republican party in Utah, the, there are three parties in Utah and I'm chairman of two of them. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's kind of how it is in the, in the, in the uh, Congress right now in the house. So, so the management problem for Boehner, and I think he just got tired. Who knows what other metaphysical things happened, but he, he left um, because the big problem is managing the two parties mm. to trying to get something through.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, managing and you,
6: two of the three parties.
2: And, and so, really, what we're talking about are the is is that Freedom Caucus, which is which tends to be kind of the old uh, Tea or movement, right? And then the kind of the more moderate. Uh, you know i guess regular conservatives and then democrats
6: yeah i i, I have to say I, uh, I mean we try to be nonpartisan on the show yeah. and i think i am and the statement i'm about to make is pretty nonpartisan. partisan to say that john boehner is not a conservative is insane
2: is
7: this
6: he's probably the most conservative speaker even including newt gingrich that 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 the Republicans have ever had. So wow. it, it's not, it, we're, it, people talk about him like he's some so, lady, yeah. New England right. liberal Republican. He's not that, but he's not, And but he is an old-time Paul. He's a guy who wants to get stuff done and compromises in his bones. And that's the thing that, that's driving some of the Freedom Caucus crazy. It's like, look, we know the president. They're not stupid either. They, they know the president's going to veto bills. But well, let's make him veto them. Yeah, let's 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 put some stuff up there that's going to make him do his job.
2: Interesting. That's a, yeah, because that's that's exactly what we think is that he's. I mean, when we sit there and talk about the moderate wing of the the GOP, that's it, they're still fairly conservative. I mean, they were thinking Mitt Romney was a moderate. Yeah. Right. right.
6: Yeah, well, Mitt Romney is more moderate yeah. than uh, to John Boehner, so, yeah, yeah. We have to say that.
2: So, okay, yeah. yeah. See, that's why we need you here, Joe. Hey, Joe, well, we got to take a break. Uh, yeah. We'll hurry and get you to the airport, I know. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue our uh, Washington Insider, Joe Cannon, get his insight, and also just uh, find out what's going on in the rest of the election. If he sees anything, we all ought to be paying attention to. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, uh, which is an organization doing what they can to fight to lower the fuel costs in the United States. And um, he's also was a candidate for U.S. Senate back in the day, has served uh, as in the administration um, under Ronald Reagan. And... Um, He's just an all-around great guy. He's here to give us the insight that we need. You know, not all of us are in the know and and hear all of the the talk and the scuttle going on back in D.C. So we bring him in to, to help us walk through a few things. One of the things we've been talking about is Jay, Jason Chaffetz, who's going after Kevin McCarthy in the, um, the role for Speaker of the House. And, uh, Joe, I wanted to let you listen to this. One of the commentators... Uh, actually Britt Hume made a comment about the fact that um Chaffetz and and his and his 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 charge to go after creating real change and the fact that Kevin McCarthy's more of the same. Britt Hume says this may be a manifestation of Trump syndrome. Here's what Chaffetz says he's going to do when it comes to change.
5: We don't want to fight internally, but realistically, we can't vote to promote the existing leadership. And I think a new fresh face who says, how are we going to hold the line for the full political spectrum? I am not there to just perpetuate the status quo. I am not there to just do what you know Mitch McConnell or, or the president wants to do. That's not what we were elected to do.
7: Hmm.
2: So is, is a little bit of Trump syndrome trickling down into the congressional play for the uh, Speaker of the House?
6: Well, it could be, uh, but I think what what uh, Congressman Chaffetz is saying is true. Nobody disputes that with Kevin McCarthy, you just get a, a, a slightly different, maybe a little more urbane, John Boehner. Hmm. I mean, that, the fact is, there's McCarthy does not represent any kind of radical change at all, or maybe not even any change at all. So, I think what Chaffetz is saying is, look, we we were all here elected to do some change. You know, uh, now the the fact that you have a Democrat president and a Republican Congress is how the Constitution was designed to for this happening.
7: Right.
2: So this is really this might be a this might be a really smart play because if if the if the electorate are out there saying change, we want change, we want change, um, does that actually matter to the Congress people? I mean, they're the ones that are going to be making these decisions.
6: Well, there are plenty of people in the House who want change. I think what the dispute really is, is do you want to win or do you want to feel good? Mm -hmm. A lot of times people want to feel good. They'll be like Donald Trump. They'll make loud noises and and yell and say absurd things. But to win is a little more complicated. It's a lot more complicated. It takes more patience. And in the constitutional system that the founders gave us, no one is going to go charging ahead unilaterally to change things. You do have to work in, in, in a system and in a system that has, in this case, a, dem- a president from the opposite party of the two of the parties that control the uh, Senate and the uh, House. And so it's a messy process and it was designed to be that way. So the, quote, realist close quote, the, the Boehners and the McConnells, both of whom are Pretty doggone conservatives. I, I mentioned, they're they're saying, look, let's do what we can do, to really make radical change. We need a, We need a Republican president. Yeah. And and other people are saying, no, look, let's just go ahead and start throwing bombs and see what happens. And that's. That's the, the dispute that's going on in the House right now.
2: What, uh, anything else that you see going on as far as the, um, other election, the presidential election? Any, any interesting numbers moving for you? Anybody standing out as yeah, well, losing yeah, ground? I mean,
6: a lot of things happened over this weekend, and it could be that the law of gravity is finally it's happening. affecting Trump. I mean, he, he's actually behind Carson in, um, In the most recent in the most recent poll, he's he's behind Carson.
7: Is he? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
6: in, oh, he in, is. He no, yeah. In the yep. poll. yeah poll. it's just one poll, but what what it shows is is that um, yeah, he's he's. It, it shows that he's um, I mean, he may have hit the limit. But I don't I don't say he's peaked. Right. But maybe he's plateaued. Is the right number? Yeah. The right. Right phrase because he's is, he's. Is, if you look at all over the polls for the last several weeks, he's averaging around twenty percent, twenty-two percent, and this poll, this most recent poll, shows him down. He's also down. He's still ahead. He he, he can still trumpet his, uh, you know, I'm still ahead in in Iowa and New Hampshire. But in each poll, he's down. I, I don't have the numbers right in me, but you know, uh, five to seven, five to nine wow. percent, in each of those polls, so. Could be, and then Fiorina's the making a big charge. Carson's still making a big charge, and uh, the biggest of the not of the, of the actual political candidates, the guy who seems to be benefiting the most now is Rubio. Yeah, Rubio seems. He's, that. he's, he's uh, making big moves nationally in the national polls and in the um, in the uh, uh, state polls.
2: Well, and I guess that's the thing. When you do, I guess, more of a national poll, Clinton seems to fare pretty well. But in the Iowa Democratic Caucus uh, poll done by NBC and The Wall Street Journal, she's only ahead of Sanders by five points in Iowa and is behind Sanders by 14 points in New Hampshire. She's right. she's I, taking a beating.
6: She's taking a beating. And when you add Biden in there, even though he's not running. Yeah, he's not even running yet even more, yeah. not in her favor. Not in, in, uh, Yeah,
2: Biden's, in taking, Biden's taking 22% of the Iowa vote, and he's not even in the race.
6: And that could change this week, according to, I'm not an insider here, other people, other people in Washington are saying maybe this week is the week he's actually going to say, mm. say something.
7: Oh, he's boy. He's a
6: lot of pressure. I do know from some conversations with people on that side of the aisle that uh, he's getting a lot of pressure.
2: To, to get in?
6: To get in, yeah, to get in.
2: Wow. is um, If he doesn't get in, where do those votes go?
6: Well, they're, they're going to go to uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, she, he's not a Biden. Biden is not a, a Bernie Sanders replacement. I mean, he's a replacement of the fact that he's another candidate. But, but you know, philosophically, I think uh, he's not going to try to, to replicate the Sander. Sanders constituency, um, so you you um, you just might have a Sanders Hillary uh, uh, Sanders Clinton race, and I think she wins. I think she's the nominee. Yeah.
2: Oh my heavens! What um, what do you sense? Uh, anything else just for you that stands out as something that we've got to make sure we talk about today?
6: No, my old friend, my old my old chestnut Kasich is is completely falling off the yeah. table. Yeah,
2: what's he's happening there?
6: Happen. Just, he's just not getting any traction with anybody.
2: Oh, boy. Yeah, I thought he was an interesting uh, option and push. I mean, I guess, you know, that's the benefit of this. I guess you could always be a vice presidential candidate.
6: Well, you could see a Rubio Kasich, but you could also see a Rubio Fiorina. Yeah, true. I will say I'm sensing with a lot of the so-called establishment, even, even conservatives, even... People like Glenn Beck have said they could support a, a Rubio. They're not there yet, but but I guess the point is is that uh, Rubio is starting to gain traction of the of the non of the of the real politicians of the race. He's starting to get traction. Mm-hmm.
2: No, uh, and, and, he, and he just I guess that's the benefit of these debates too is you get to see just how he just is very well read and he's he's smart and you know has energy and ideas and it's almost what we kind of need it feels like we just need somebody with energy that's not
6: purely negative he's got energy he is a bona fide conservative uh he's got you know legislative experience uh uh but both I mean in in his home state he was he was the speaker of the house i think he was speaker in in Florida then and then he's got in the senate now so yeah, yeah he's young he's fresh and I would say a lot of a lot of political insiders are starting to gravitate to, well, uh, Rubio is going to be our guy.
2: Well, and you've even seen Jeb Bush throw some punches that way.
6: Well, you can you can tell when Trump and Bush start going after him, they're saying something.
7: Yeah. Oh, and then, by goodness.
6: the way, you're right. See, if we everything we just said demonstrates another fact. We didn't even talk about Bush. You asked me what I was thinking right. about, think about Bush. Bush is lagging. He actually came up a little bit in the New Hampshire poll, but overall, he's way in low single digits and just uh, not not getting traction yet.
2: Which again, these front runners with the money not getting the traction. That's you know, I guess that is saying something too.
6: It's a big sign.
2: It is. Yeah, this isn't going to be your everyday election, is it? Well, well, Joe, we appreciate you. Fly safely. Where are are you going to D.C. today? Where are you going?
6: Yeah, I was at Washington
2: last week. I actually went to Sacramento today. Mm. Ooh, good luck there. Head of the okay. g- capital of California, eh? Yep.
6: yep.
2: Good luck there, my friend. Appreciate okay. you. Fly okay. safely. Okay. There he is, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. I'm telling you, fuelfreedom.org. That's the organization he represents. Helping us uh, lower the cost of fuel here in the United States. Politics. It's uh, you either love it or you hate it, don't you? And if not, just watch Saturday Night Live. You can get the fun version. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Monday, another day of fun and excitement. Earlier in the hour, we were talking about uh, how Saturday Night Live is um, is you know it's 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 an it's an old tool for candidates to go get exposure to the younger audiences. Now they're doing Jimmy Fallon and and all of the Jimmys, but um, we do have a few uh, moments from Saturday Night Live where Hillary. Was pretending to be a bartender named Val, and uh, there was another person that was basically imitating Hillary. And um, as part of all of that, she ended up, um, you know, it gave some pretty good lines to Hillary Clinton. And, and I was just telling everybody earlier that I don't think this is the best place to be running, you know, to be running your 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 campaign. Do we do this on Saturday Night Live? Let's go. Here's a clip of Val, the bartender, being played by Hillary, asking Hillary Clinton about if she has ID or not.
8: You know, I I just realized I never checked your ID.
5: (laughs) ID! Come on, please! I have a one-year-old granddaughter.
0: (laughs) She calls me Madam President. (laughs)
2: That actress is perfect at imitating Hillary. Or Hillary's just really... Really easy to imitate. This is the skits uh, he'll, uh, Saturday Night Live skit uh, um, and a comment about Donald Trump.
0: All anyone wants to talk about is Donald Trump. Donald Trump? Isn't he the one that's like, uh, you're
9: all losers?
0: <laughs> you think he'll win the primaries? He must. I want to be the one to take him down. I will destroy him and I will
10: mount his hair in the Office. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's great. These are going to be great clips to play someday for uh, Hillary when she's in the Oval Office. And there will be a day, apparently, that his hair will be mounted and put in the Oval Office. Here's our last one. Um, this Again, remember, Hillary's the bartender, Val, and he's serving drinks to Hillary, the candidate.
0: I guess I should uh, get going, but this has been so nice. You are really easy to talk to, Val. Oh, thanks. You know, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Oh, <laughs> Val, 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 I wish you could be
9: present. <laughs> Me too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, very supportive crowd. They they, they were very careful. They, I mean, they had some jokes, a lot of jokes about, you know, Hillary not accepting gay marriage as early as she could have and should have. And I mean, there was some fun banter and stuff, but also an audience that obviously, you know, loves Hillary. Uh, We got to get to another topic that just was, to me, kind of blew my mind. Um, The New York Jets, you may have heard this, went to um, London to play a football game in front of the fans uh, over there, and they actually were going to play against the Miami Dolphins at London's Wembley Stadium, and if you could take anything, think about this, on your trip, you you know you need to you want some special things that make it feel like home. Um, ben, what would you take? What would you make sure that your people get on the plane that you don't want to forget, or it won't feel like home? A toothbrush. Good. Well, yeah, you could just put that in your bag. Anything else that you'd want the staff, the trainers, to bring? Hmm. I don't know. What like, would you bring? Like a I don't know like a like a cuddly blanket. A big, your pillow set? No. Uh, well, the Jets organization apparently brought 350 rolls of toilet paper. Ben, what are you doing? Ben, stop that. Stop that. Oh, sorry. What? What is that? It's
3: toilet paper.
2: <laughs> ben, stop it. That's not why. The, it's not sandpaper. That's not why they brought it. They brought the toilet paper, apparently, along with 5,000 other items that they shipped ahead of time because the toilet paper in London is too thin not scratchy like toilet paper not like uh, sandpaper don't don't ever play that sound again
3: but, well that's that's just how it feels to me when
2: <laughs> you're not sanding a board for heaven's sakes they just needed toilet paper okay. 350 rolls of toilet paper they took Along with 5,000 other items. I mean, I'm assuming that's just their gear, their clothes. There's a lot of stuff that they've got to take. But they made sure they took sandpaper. And apparently it helped because the Jets won. So life is good. Life is very good. Anyway, that's uh, the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back. More ideas. More tools next hour right here on BYU Radio.
5: Remember what it was
11: like sitting around talking with your friends?
2: Remember the teenage years with your hand
1: hovering over the telephone going, what am I going to say? Let's go through the script. I have nothing to say. Boy, that's the scariest moment of your life.
5: Through the Garage
11: Door brings you back to the good old days to combine your favorite rock music with friendly conversation.
3: guess you wouldn't know it unless I told you I love you.
11: Weekdays at 12 Eastern Time here on BYU Radio.
9: Hello, I'm Dean Duncan. Tune into my show This Will Take a While streaming on BYU Radio at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 or on our website at takingawhile.com
3: KBYU FM HD2 Provo
10: Hello, I'm Julie Candler with the BBC News. Twelve Pacific Rim countries have agreed to create one of the world's biggest free trade zones. The Trans-Pacific Partnership represents about 40% of world output, Theo Leggett reports.
9: The Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, is the biggest trade deal in more than two decades. It sets out to reduce, or in some cases eliminate, barriers to trade in a huge range of products and services, including agricultural goods, textiles and manufactured products. It will affect transactions collectively worth hundreds of billions of dollars each year. However, it's also deeply controversial. Critics claim measures to protect intellectual property rights could prevent poor people having access to cheap medicines and that rules on agriculture will favour large businesses over the interests of small farmers.
10: Turkey has made a strong protest to Moscow after it intercepted a Russian warplane that entered its airspace near the Syrian border. NATO described the violation as unacceptable and is arranging an urgent meeting of the alliance. Here's Richard Galpin.
4: The Turkish government says it's been told by Moscow that the warplane strayed into Turkish airspace because of a navigational mistake. Despite this, Turkey has responded angrily. It's strongly opposed to the Russian air campaign in Syria because, like many others in the region and in the West, it believes Moscow is targeting all the groups fighting against the Syrian government, not just ISIS. Moscow's apparent goal to ensure President Bashar al-Assad remains in power.
10: The United States military has said Afghan forces requested an airstrike in the northern city of Kunduz on Saturday after advising that they were coming under fire from Taliban positions. The strike has been blamed for the destruction of a hospital where 22 people were killed. General John Campbell said the US and Afghan authorities were still investigating what happened.
6: If errors were committed, we will acknowledge them. We'll hold those responsible accountable and we'll
4: take steps to ensure mistakes are not repeated.
10: The medical charity Médecins Sans Frontières, which runs the hospital, has denied Taliban fighters were inside and called the attack a war crime. Palestinian medical sources say a Palestinian youth has been killed by Israeli army fire at a refugee camp near Bethlehem. He's the second Palestinian to be killed by Israeli soldiers in the past 24 hours. Israel has increased security after four Israelis were killed in attacks by Palestinians in the past few days. The old city of Jerusalem has been closed to most Palestinians. Plans for major reforms to international tax law designed to clamp down on tax avoidance by multinational corporations have been published by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. The OECD wants big firms to be taxed in the countries where they earn income rather than in places where they are registered for tax. World News from the BBC. The Nobel Prize for Medicine has been awarded to three researchers who've made major advances in fighting parasitic infections. Yo yo Tu was honoured for her discoveries in the fight against malaria. Palab Ghosh reports. The discovery of an anti-malarial drug by Yoyo Yo Tu was inspired by traditional medicine. As a trained pharmacist, she read through ancient Chinese texts. She noticed that sweet wormwood was used in many herbal remedies – and found that the herb did seem to combat the malaria parasite in animal experiments. But the results were inconsistent. Prof Yo-Yo Chu turned again to a 1,700-year-old book and found a new way to extract the active ingredients from the herb, with which to develop a more effective therapy. The Swedish crime writer Henning Mankell has died. He was 67 and had been diagnosed with cancer. Mankell was best known for his novels about Inspector Kurt Wallander with their gloomy depiction of Swedish society and often dysfunctional personal relationships. Speaking to the BBC four years ago, he reflected on reaching middle age and said he had no regrets.
3: Most of the decisions in your life are done. You start to ask yourself what did you do with all your dreams that you had? And that can be quite scary process for many people. Not for me, because I do what I was dreaming about as a child.
10: The Chilean President Michel Bachelet has opened an international conference on the protection of the oceans by announcing the creation of two new marine reserves in the South Pacific. One will be around Easter Island, subject to the approval of the indigenous Rapa Nui people. The other will be around two uninhibited islands off the coast of Chile. Together they'll cover more than a million square kilometres where commercial fishing will be banned. BBC News. This is the
0: Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
9: Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And happy Monday morning to you. Top of the Monday to you. Had a great weekend. Got uh, to, I watched my boys play football. One won, one lost, not a big deal. It's fun to watch your kids play ball. It's also fun to watch the parents
5: freak out
2: and say stuff that you can think, oh my heavens, you're ruining your child forever. Your child will now
4: forever have problems. Are you concerned for your kids when they play? Um, does that cross your mind? You think like that they
2: might be harmed, hurt? Yes. No. Let's just say my kids do the hurting.
4: They do that. My, my hurt. mom was concerned, but not as much because I was bigger than everybody else. Yeah. So she thought that gave me an extra layer of protection, other than my layers that I already had. Yeah,
2: you were a big kid, but you're now you're fit as a fiddle. Well, I'm okay. Uh, I only worried about one child. One time, he got hit so hard. I had a son break an arm. That worried me. And from then on, I'm like, maybe we ought not be playing this football thing anymore. But I had a son get hit so hard, and he had been hit a ton. He was an inside linebacker, I think he was playing at the time. Mm -hmm. And he got racked. Yeah. And right then, I'm like, what are we doing? Especially when he came off saying, hello, Judith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, maybe we ought not be playing. Where did that (laughs) British accent come from? It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. So- uh it's a great sport but I I think there's my we were talking about it. I think there's going to be a day where we're not going to have our little kids playing head to head tackle football.
4: Yeah. I didn't play till the 8th grade. Yeah. See that's that explains a lot. It saves your brain cells. You'd hope, I guess. I don't know. My my parents were more of the uh I guess my mom was a little afraid. Yeah. Smart you know, woman. There's some fear.
2: I played the or little I played whichever. the youngest you could play and I realized then I hated the game. Then I played the, la- the oldest you could play, and I reaffirmed my earlier conviction that I hated the game. <laughs> then I decided I'm just going to play tennis and baseball, which happened to go in the same season. In mm. high school. So it ended up just playing tennis. But I did find out that when you're playing tennis, there's a lot of pretty ladies around you wearing skirts that are really nice. There you go. And I never saw
4: that on a football field. No. Except
2: for during games and stuff.
4: Yeah, and they act all friendly. And then later on, it's, yeah. yeah. That's where I met my wife, by the way, not to brag. Hey, did you hear
2: about uh, ISIS? They're still a threat, except they're also opening theme parks for the young children. So they're putting down roots, is what you're saying. We always see those. Exactly. We see those videos. In fact, here's some audio from a theme park in ISIS. It's in Fallujah. Huh. Fun at Fallujah, they call it. Fun at Fallujah. Or the Fallujah Fun Dome. And the Raqqa Dome from Raqqa in Syria. Apparently, they put together some rides and some games and, and miniature trains and,
4: you know. Bouncy houses. Activities.
2: And... Like spinning teacups.
4: Yes. <laughs>
7: you just see?
2: Dad's on the ride with you holding a semi-automatic machine gun or whatever. You having fun? <laughs> Occasionally go, firing in, in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But apparently they're just trying to make these kids have fun. Which is weird because it kinda goes counter to the other videos that you see of the little children like
4: holding up heads of people that have They they said know. that the photographs are, are odd because you see them spinning in teacups and in the background you see the bombed out buildings. <laughs> just kind of a
2: It seems a like different a, yeah. It seems like there. you know, that would be you know, a a conflicted brain would be sitting there thinking, wow, bombs or teacups. Bombs, teacups. Yeah. But hey, it's for the kids. Thanks, ISIS. <laughs> Um, in Raqqa's ride city, children were seen to enjoy the rides on a dangerous-looking rusty swing. There you go. <laughs> anyway, fun, good, good for them. And uh, if you're if you're in the North Pole uh, on the North Pole City Council, guess who's running? Um, Santa. Santa's running. Yep. Apparently, tired of working just one night a year, Santa Claus is running for the North Pole City Council. Huh. Okay, so it's it's just a guy who whose legal name is Santa Claus. It's not the actual Santa Claus. Well, okay. It's not Father Christmas. It's not Papa Noel. It's just some dude.
4: That's a different guy? Yeah.
2: Okay. Why would you? That's rude. You can't take Papa Noel's
4: likeness. Because he's Santa, man. Okay. There should be only one.
3: Yeah. I bet he's going to subsidize Coca-Cola.
4: There you go. That's a great point. He's got that advertising contract with him.
2: They're going to move a Coca-Cola bottling plant up to North Pole.
4: Jobs. 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 It's all about the jobs, (laughs) Santa
2: says.
3: Vote for Santa Claus.
2: Uh, No one apparently has filed. So I guess two seats on the council are up for election and no one has filed to run. So Papa Noel, Santa Claus decided to get in. How do we say Santa Claus in German? Weihnachtsmann. Wrong. Hmm. Not even close.
4: That sounds festive. Yeah. Vinox, what? Man. Man, you know
2: what? That sounds like the drug that I'm supposed to take for my chest cold. Oh, really? Vinoxman. Oh, it's great. Loosens, so, loosens everything up. Seventy-five dollars so a pill. Man. Yeah. Yep. Me gusta Vinoxman. Festive. I just mix two languages, Spanish and German. Sp- the
4: German. The Sp- German. We're going to uh, now go to our headlines. Find out what's going on in the rest of the world with Terry South. Good morning, South Carolina. At least five people died during a storm that dumped more than 18 inches of rain in the central part of the state early Sunday. Of the five deaths, officials say three were caused by traffic accidents. Governor Nikki Haley says that some areas saw a downpour expected to occur once every 1,000 years.
0: Obvious priority is safety. We have 381 roads That are closed we've got 127 bridges that are down Um, we've had six fatalities right now we've got people without power and water the number one thing is to keep people inside keep them safe
4: a record 8.7 inches of rain recorded in columbia south carolina for a 24-hour period ending sunday afternoon charleston broke its records for greatest monthly rainfall for october just after four days and the uh, Conigree River is at its highest level since 1936. Oh boy. So lots of water, lots of danger there. They're telling people to stay inside. At one point, she says, do not leave your house. You don't need to take a picture of this. Right. Just get the no pictures selfies. off of the news. No selfies. Just watch the news. Jason Chaffetz, the Republican from Utah, has announced that he will... Uh, run for House Speaker. Last week was an eventful week for him. He chaired the hearings on Planned Parenthood, where he showed us all how to use a line graph. He got some vindication after the Secret Service was exposed for trying to embarrass the Utah Republican in retaliation for his grilling of the Secret Service after they failed to do their job, and on Sunday he announced that he will run for Speaker. Yeah, he had a big week. Yeah.
5: I will walk out of there and support the nominee. I hope it's me. I'm trying to fight for that. But if it's Kevin McCarthy, I will support it. But he still has the math problem. It still can't get to 218, and I hope We can avoid those problems, bridge the gap, turn the fight, instead of internally, turn that fight to the Democrats and fight for the things that we all came to Congress for.
4: So it's interesting. He doesn't think that uh, Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy will have the votes to win the House Speakership, but he'll support whoever is nominated as the House Uh. Speaker. So uh, it's an interesting situation. Some infighting, it seems, some civil war, if you want to take it to a different level. Within the party they're fighting. Brother against brother. Who's in control. Yeah. So, not as interesting as the uh, Marvel Captain America Civil War coming out later next year, but... But close. Could be interesting as both elections are happening. Uh, The Democratic race, Hillary Clinton maintains her lead in Iowa. Bernie Sanders is still ahead in New Hampshire. In Iowa, she uh, gets support from 47% of Iowa caucus scores, while Sanders gets 36% Martin O'Malley. Did you know he was running...
7: Yeah,
2: I heard, he gets I heard uh, 4%,
4: left. but Clinton leads, her lead shrinks to 5 points when Vice President Joe Biden is added to the field. Clinton at 33, Sanders 28, Joe Biden at 22. Wow. And in New Hampshire, Sanders leads Clinton by 9 points, 48 to 39. Yet once Clinton, uh, once, once again Clinton loses ground to Biden, is added to the contest. Sanders sits at 42, Clinton 28, and Biden 18. So it looks like Clinton's support is taken away when Biden is added to the mix. This is going, and they think, according to our
2: insider, this week something might go down. Could be mm.
4: an intensive search uh, resumed on Sunday in the southeastern Bahamas for a U.S. cargo ship with 33 people on board that has not been heard from since it lost power and was taking on water as it was battered in fierce seas churned up by Hurricane Joaquin. 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 U.S. Coast Guard, Navy, Air Force planes, the helicopters expected to spend the day looking for the ship across the broad expanse of the Atlantic Ocean around the Crooked Island which the ship, the 790-foot El Farco, was passing as the storm turned to a powerful Category 4 hurricane. Sunday afternoon, the Coast Guard search vessel found a 225-square-mile debris field of wood, cargo, and other items. Not sure if it's from the ship or if it's from the surrounding islands. Yeah. having All that debris tossed into the ocean because right. of the storm.
2: That's just tragic.
4: Massive cargo gone. ship just gone. Didn't even know. And uh, does it sometimes seem like the only people quoted in the news are named James, John, Robert, Michael, David, yes. or what Williams? Is, what is that all about? According to a study by McGill University, 82% of the names referenced by the media belong to men. In other words, a woman is only referenced once for every five times a man is. Rude. The media focus nearly exclusively on individuals of the top occupational and social hierarchies, who are mostly men, CEOs, politicians, movie directors, and the like, the lead author says in the study. With unfortunate predictability, women were the least referenced in the sports sections, but they're also largely excluded from the news, business, and even entertainment articles. Additionally, it didn't make differ- any difference if the news outlet was liberal or conservative huh. or had female editors or staff writers. It seems that practically nobody anywhere is quoting women in equal numbers. Maybe this is more about the fact that men love to be quoted. Maybe. So maybe
2: all the women are like, no, I'm not. no quotes today. Yeah. And the men are like, quote, yeah, I'll take a quote. I don't know,
4: but it, I just found that interesting. That is interesting. Like about twenty percent. Then eighty, yeah, twenty percent of the quotes you see on TV are from women. Eighty-two percent. That are. is interesting. Oh. No
2: wonder they're they're wondering if they have a voice. They don't apparently. Apparently they don't. <laughs> interesting research. Well, well done. Hey, uh, speaking of a voice, you know everybody believes if you just once you're divorced, life's just going to be better, right? But uh, and on the show last week as well, we talked about narcissism, right? That love of self, somebody that's so in love with themselves that they they don't really think of you. So in a high conflict divorce, where you're married to a narcissist, narcissist, and you're divorcing a narcissist, is it ever going to get to a point where you will actually be free from the narcissist? Our next guest uh, is an expert in this. If you've ever felt like you broke up with somebody and they just you just kept suffering from it and they kept bringing it up and causing you more and more problems. If you've ever divorced somebody and they won't just let you go, this next guest is the guest for you. We want to we'll be talking with Carol McBride in just a few minutes about her book Will I Ever Be Free of You? How to Navigate a High Conflict Divorce from a Narcissist and How to Heal Your Family. Stick with us, folks. Some relationships they are very difficult, and uh, we'll get into it in deep, folks. This is the Matt Townsend show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. You know, the terms narcissism and narcissistic have become a part of everyday vernacular. But what does it actually look like? And what do you do once it's touched your life? What do you do if you had a parent who is narcissistic or a partner? And how do you heal and move forward? These are the questions that our guest today has heard many, many times. Dr. Carol McBride is the author of two books, Will I Ever Be Good Enough and Will I Ever Be Free of You?, which both deal with the topic of narcissism and and dealing and handling those emotions. She joins us now live on the phone to give us uh, her insight into this topic. Dr. McBride, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
8: Thank you, Matt. I'm happy to
7: be here.
2: Great to have you here. Uh, again, I, I see a lot of couples in my practice where they're ma- they're married to a narcissist and the, the marriage is disintegrating. It's falling apart and you know, it doesn't get easier just because we're divorcing. Talk, talk to us a little bit about uh, what is like the clinical definition of narcissism so we can all be up to speed, and then let's let's get into the, the problems it causes.
8: Well, I think it's important um, to look at the nine traits that they list in the diagnostic manual. So I uh, let's start with that. But as I list them, there are nine of them, Matt, um, it's important to understand that this is a spectrum disorder. Right. So we can, you know, all of us have some narcissistic traits at one end of the continuum. And then if you look at this sort of line over at the, the other far end is the full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, which is what the DSM is talking about. Um, and those traits, the nine traits, do you want me to Yeah, please.
2: Yeah, run through those.
8: Um, One, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. Two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by other special or high-status people or institutions. Four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement. Six is interpersonally exploitative. Seven lacks empathy. Eight is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. And nine shows arrogance, haughty behaviors or attitudes.
7: Mm. Yeah.
2: And the funny thing about that, and that's why it's important to realize it's a spectrum kind of disorder, is, you know, some of those are like, oh, man, oh, boy. Ah, ew. Right. I know people with that. And-
8: important to understand, too, that all of us can act sort of narcissistic at times. You know, when we're under pressure, under stress, we can be more self-absorbed. We, you know, if we have insecure days, we may require more um, support or admiration. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it. I, I really think the spectrum uh, concept to this is extremely important because the higher-level traits people have, even if they're not full-blown personality disorders, can still create uh, incredible emotional damage at, in parenting and in love relationships.
7: Oh yeah,
2: and then and then the idea though is you're you're being harmed you're being harmed in this relationship uh, anyway emotionally you might feel you know taken advantage of socially I mean in almost every way you might be starving or hurting. So then you think, okay, so if I can just be done, if I can just be done with this person, then I'll be free of it all. But that doesn't necessarily happen.
8: What's really interesting in, in the, let's just look at the, the love relationship, marriage uh, aspect. Um, if someone is married to or in a love relationship with a narcissist, and they want to leave, it becomes an issue of abandonment for the narcissist. And they don't really get over it. You yeah, know,
2: yeah. Like, they're not going to let it go.
8: They do not let it go. We call it a narcissistic injury. Um, and then they're just out for revenge. And, and it's very different from, you know, if there is such a thing as a normal divorce, um, you know, most most people who get a divorce have like a 3 year maybe uh adjustment time divorce adjustment period as you've probably seen
7: yeah
8: and their kids do too but each year gets a little better and and they really do get over it they can co-parent you know down the road they they can show up at each other's you know games uh, and events yeah the children but with with the narcissist um it just doesn't work that way
7: ah it's so,
8: Revenge City and Court Hearing after court hearing after court hearing. And you know, in my research when I wrote this book, Matt, the um these divorces are ranging from fifty thousand dollars to a million dollars.
2: Oh yeah. So 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 interestingly, that could be a sign, right? I mean if if you have a lot of angry, you know, vengeful Gamesmanship being played through the divorce, it's it might be telling you you're you either are a narcissist or you're married to one.
8: Yes, because most you know a lot of people can go even go to mediation and and just you know sane yeah. reasonable people work things out for the best interest of their children. Whereas in these cases, the narcissists, unfortunately, use the children as pawns to get back at the other parent.
2: So because I guess that's the point, huh? a narcissist, they can have kids and they can have a spouse, but they who they really love. They love themselves. They they are the center of their their world. Right. So you can't make an argument like let's do what's in the best interest of the children because what's in the best interest of the children would be me. Right. <laughs> I I need to be there because I yeah. am the key. So uh, this, uh, yeah, it's a tangled web, isn't it?
8: It really is. I call it the legacy of distorted love, um, because you know, narcissists really. I don't think, from what I've seen, the higher level traits, treated narcissists or the full blown personality disorders. It, you know, it, if they can't do empathy. And they can't emotionally tune in to the emotional world of their children or their partner, I don't I don't think they can love really.
7: Yeah. Yeah.
8: And that's just devastating. That's devastating for people who are who have married uh someone like this, or also for children who are being raised by narcissists.
2: Yeah, you have a book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? If you're married to a narcissist, you may not feel like I mean, if you're a daughter of a narcissist or and you have one in your life regularly, you're constantly questioning it's about you. In fact, you start to think you're going crazy, right? Because, like, am I this off? Everyone else seems to like me, but this person keeps giving me negative feedback.
8: Yes, it's it's so damaging. I've, and I've worked with just hundreds of men and women now um, raised by narcissistic parents. And, you know, they it they come... It's crazy making, I guess, is the best way to say it, because if my own mother can't love me or my own father can't love me, who can, Mm. you know, and they come out with the, all these negative internalized messages of, will I ever be good enough? Will I ever be lovable? Can I trust my own feelings? Can I trust anybody else? Um, And, and thankfully, you know, there is recovery and, and hope and people can get help for, you know, it coming out of these kinds of dysfunctional families. But, but it really takes that to to break that legacy. Yeah. Otherwise, as you know, people tend to just take it into the next generation and parent the same way they were parented.
2: Yeah, keep handing it down. Uh, let's, right. let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Carol McBride, and uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the hope of this, that how we go about deciding what to do, how do we kind of break this chain this cycle um, of, of, you know, be, being in a legacy of distorted love, the outcome of, you know, having narcissistic people around us, which is inevitable in some regard. Uh, stick with us. We'll continue this discussion more with Dr. Car- uh, Carol McBride. And also, if you want more information about uh, her work and what she does, you can go to her website, willieverbegoodenough.com. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Carol McBride, who is the author of two books, Will I Ever Be Good Enough and Will I Ever Be Free of You? Both books deal with the topic of narcissism in your relationships and how to heal and and move forward. She's joining us uh, on the phone to give us uh, this insight. Again, Dr. Carol McBride, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
8: Thank you, Matt. Happy to
2: be here. So great to have you. And this topic, um, it's, it really is a big deal. I see it a lot. And there's, there's kind of no way I've seen, you can move along and you can reframe and you can, you can kind of reevaluate how you interpret your narcissistic partner. But in the end, getting them to change, is, it's, is it even possible to get a narcissist to change?
7: Well,
8: again, um, as I was explaining earlier, it depends on where they are on that spectrum. You know, right. let's say they, they have low-level traits, but some, well, I've seen people really be able to be more introspective and, and look at themselves, but the higher-level traits and, and the closer towards the full-blown personality disorder, they're, they're not um, accountable. Right. Uh, it's, it's everybody else's fault. And so, you know, they're not the kind of people who come to therapy, for instance, and really want help unless they're coming in to tell you how bad someone else is.
7: Yeah. Yeah.
8: <laughs> you so, know, and as soon as you confront them, they're gone. So, it it's they're they don't usually seek treatment and if they do, they don't stay.
2: So so really, I guess the solution would be you work on you. You work on interpreting how you're seeing this. Recognizing the signs. What do you teach in your books that we could be doing to start to create some healing if we're dealing with a, a narcissist?
8: Well, I think um, one of the things that's in Will I Ever Be Free of You is a, a survey, like 50 Ways to Tell.
7: <laughs> you yeah. Know?
8: And um, one thing your listeners could do is go to the website. The survey is on the website, willieverbegoodenough.com. Um, Because, and the only reason I say that, Matt, is it's very difficult for people to identify what's going on. Right. You know, and and as you said earlier, they they keep saying, well, maybe it's me. You know, maybe if I could just be prettier or thinner or more successful or make more money or, you know, maybe my partner will love me. So I think really identifying it, um, not only looking at the traits. In the DSM, but the my survey, the fifty ways um, it, the labeling it and understanding it is the first step and then and then, after that, once someone really knows what they're dealing with, um, this is a the devastating effects of narcissistic parenting or relationships. Really creates trauma for people, and so I have created a five step recovery program in both books for people to to go through yeah because I believe that we have to clean up trauma before we can move on
2: right do, do I need to clean up the trauma with uh, the with the person, or is this stuff that I can just go clean up kind of unilaterally just pick up my part of it
8: yes it 's all it's all internal work.
2: Yeah. So so really I could just find you know go take that assessment, start looking at myself though and start going through these steps to um to heal myself which you know, like we were talking earlier, if you're going to end up divorcing a spouse, this could take a while anyway, but you need to start taking care of yourself emotionally or this will even be more devastating.
8: That's right. That's right. And there's a, there are many tips in Will I Ever Be Free of You um, about how to help your children as well. You right. Know, let's say you're divorcing a narcissist. You're going to have to deal with the crazy court battles and all the expense. And, um, but then, you know, that, the parent who is worried about the ch- children, um, they have to kind of be the double-duty parent. And I talk a lot about... Um, the way to combat the other parent, the narcissistic parent, is to do parenting with empathy. You know, empathy is the antithesis to narcissism. And so really focusing on empathetic parenting, because they're, you know, they have double duty, they have to do both jobs of both parents, and they have to heal themselves.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and your tendency might be, to you know play dirty like the narcissist and then that just creates more chaos and you become somebody you don't even recognize so instead of letting the narcissist lead you're saying you teach him to play to become empathic and to understand what's really going on
8: that's right that's right and you know if i may throw something out matt the i think the court system um is is a problem right now because a lot, of, a lot of people in, in the divorce field are still kind of learning about this. Yeah. And, and the narcissists, when you first meet them, are very charming, very engaging, very right. seducing, right? Yeah. And so they can seduce the clinicians and the judges and the attorneys and the custody evaluators. So, you know, it's, I think we need to have more training in, in the field, too, in the mental health field and the law field.
2: And especially if they have resources, because then then as long as somebody has resources, this could go on indefinitely. I mean, I've seen it go on so long that the only reason it changed is because the person with narcissism was around the judge so often that the judge couldn't take it anymore. And the judge finally threw the book at him. But it took like 20 or 30 visits to the court, which is rare. You know, that's hard to get that many visits. In front of oh, the a judge.
8: judge, I interviewed. Call them one of the judges. called them frequent filers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great line.
8: And and they and some of the judges said that they come back to court so many times that eventually they know more about these people's kids and their activities right. and their sports games than they do their own.
2: Kids. <laughs> yeah, it's so sad. But you, you, and that's how it works, though, because the courts will usually, if they're if they're going to, for example, decide custody, and you have a narcissist fighting for custody, that narcissist, even if they're never around their children, still think they are the center of their child's life. Um, that person can fight and fight and fight. And then it, what they do, I know in Utah, I'm sure it's different in other states, but the the judge just appoints a a, a uh, an evaluator, which is usually like a PhD clinical psychologist to come evaluate the families. And then that's where the narcissist works their... They're smooth talking and their their machinations right. to make this happen.
8: Right, and, and then they win I, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, and then they win custody, or get more custody than we probably ought to be giving to the person that never had been there for the child.
9: Right: Yeah,
2: <sighs> yeah.
8: It's frustrating. it's and It's, it's I mean, kind of back
2: to mental health, isn't it? We don't quite I mean, understand
7: just, it right. yet
8: really heartbreaking and i you know my my next professional move i think is going to be working on more trainings you know for family law and custody people and therapists because the better it's understood you know the more we're going to be able to protect and help the kids that yeah. are caught in the middle of these devastating battles
7: because yeah that
2: is it is the it's the the parent that has to move on that's one thing but then it's also these children and one of the things i know you talk a lot about is just the feedback so what kind of feedback does a narcissist give their child like cuz if you believe in the social mirror idea that you're constantly reflecting down upon your child what you see and and they they pick up what they are if if i'm dealing with a narcissist then I must get an identity as a child that I'm not worth much.
8: Yeah, it's interesting because the the child is there to serve the parent rather than the other way around. Yeah. You know, the in, in narcissistic families, the spouse and the children orbit around the narcissist. You know, similar to alcoholism, the... the the, or other addictions that the addict orbits around their addiction, right? And so the message to the the children is, you know, I have to be there for them, and serve them, and and be who they want me to be, which is why part of the recovery after cleaning up trauma is really about rebuilding your own sense of self.
2: Yeah, you have to get. You have to build your own identity, not one that's reflective of the nar- what the narcissist gave you. Exactly. Yeah. How do you do that? What are some traits or tricks or things that you do to help in your books to get people to kind of reevaluate who they are?
8: Um, I talk about, you know, really the – once the trauma is cleaned up, which takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that they're not constantly being triggered by the narcissist, then it's easier for people to begin to look at what is my value system. You know, who am I? What do I believe in? What do I like to do? What do I not like to do? Hmm. Um, You know, what parts of my own individuation from my family of origin do I need to focus on? There may be things I like. That I'm keeping. There, there are other things I'm tossing, you know, and and really looking at other aspects of their lives as well. Am I am I attracting narcissistic friends? Am I passing down narcissistic parenting to my own children? Hmm. I mean, it's it's a lot of work.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean that that's interesting. I always have, I, I have clients that may have married one or two narcissists, and they're saying, "Man, what is it about me?" That keeps finding these men. Is that what happens? Is if I was parented this way, am I more likely to find a narcissistic partner?
8: I think so, Matt. I think there's other reasons too, but I, the reason I say yes to that is because if you think about having a narcissistic parent and you're there to serve them, what great training to make you a codependent? Yeah, totally. You know, and co- and I always define codependency as. Taking care of you to the exclusion of taking care of myself. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's your MO, that's what you're used to. You know, we're attracted to the familiar. Um, not to mention, of course, the fact that the narcissist will swing into your life with, you know, this, this amazing charm.
7: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, with incredible potential. Opportunity, yeah, because yeah, they, they believe in those grandiose, you know, fantasies of the future. Right. Huh. Wow. So um when you – so it's basically go online, take a test uh, on your website and just see where you are kind of in the spectrum of the reality of things. But then clean up your trauma, which could take time, and then start working on your value system. What – what you truly believe in? What did you learn from your, init- your earlier family, your family of origin? What are some th- ideas you might need to let go of? There are some thoughts that you know we don't want to keep perpetuating. Then what do we do?
8: Well, then step four is really about how are we going to now deal differently with the narcissist in our life, whether it's the, our parents or our, our love partners. You know, how do we learn how to set very, very clear boundaries? and how do we communicate very clearly with i statements and not buy into the fighting and the triangulating and um so it's it, there's work in the books on how to deal differently with this person so you don't get sucked into their vortex anymore
2: yeah and that that's important right because you don't you don't really want to believe a narcissist where because they they're going to So you almost don't want them to lead the relationship. That's why you need really strong boundaries because you can't necessarily trust what they're saying. Right. Yeah.
8: And setting boundaries and sticking to them is really important with a narcissist because they can just truck right over you.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is as I look at it, Carol. It's such a – and I see it. I see it every day. Um, And so this isn't just – you know, a one in a once in a while situation, there is a lot of this going on. In fact, I would bet a very high percentage of divorces would have this pattern of either codependence or, you know, narcissist and um, and, and almost, I guess, uh, what's the word? Just kind of the, the, the abused of the narcissist or from the, somebody that's a narcissist. It's really, it's hard because it's hard to evaluate your own thinking because your thinking is part of the problem. Um, as, as we wrap up, Carol, we've got about a minute left. What would you say what What would you say to just the average person who right now is in the thick of this and is looking for some hope?
8: I would want to say there is always hope there's always recovery. Um, you know we can tell some pretty horrible stories about these cases that can scare people, but but, in the end, people can do recovery i 've seen so much of it, and they really can learn how to take good care of themselves and reparent their children in different ways and and it's the hard work is really, really worth it yeah,
2: no, I totally agree and there's there is hope out there so if there's if anything. Know that there's hope. Get the help you need if you're listening and you know you're going through this. One place to go is the website will I ever be good enough Will I ever be good enough where you can take that assessment that uh, Carol was talking about and look into those books. Um, really, a lot of there's a lot of tools out there, but you, you got to work, right? You got to work for these things. Um, this is a hard scenario, and uh, but it will make you stronger. You just have to learn to notice there's certain signs there's certain things you got to see or you'll just keep falling in the same trap uh we'll take a break my friends we'll come back and continue this discussion doing a little uh coaching corner here and give you some ideas some more hope on what else you can do when you're dealing with a a one-sided relationship stick with us this is the matt townsend show Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Relationships, they're tough, aren't they? And you would think it would just, it's just going to get easier if we divorced. But it, it really doesn't. It's, it's hard. And again, I get to sit down every day with couples and, and have them talk through issues as they, as they need to make these decisions. And whether it's somebody that has narcissism, whether it's somebody with an addiction or a distraction, you know, another love interest in their relationship, every one of those things make it even more complicated. One of the keys, though, you got to know who you are, really, truly. You've got to have a pretty strong sense of self in a healthy way, or you you keep operating in your relationship out of fear. If we continually operate in our relationship out of fear, then all the party knows or the partner knows is that they need to make us more fearful. Fear isn't um, going to work. And I've noticed in some relationships, fear is, could be, for example, it could be the default that, that they know. For example, I had a client recently that she, she has her own issues. Her issues are simply because she doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know how to make it on her own financially. She doesn't know what she needs. She doesn't think she could survive on her own with, without this partner that's being so mean to her. So she stays in, right? So how, and, but if, when, she, when they talk, she's always saying about how she doesn't dare say anything. She's too afraid to say something. So we give her a space to say something, and um, what what I found in, in the end is she struggled. She struggled deeply because a lot of what she was afraid of is that this narcissist would just take her to task and beat her down for the next, emotionally, for the next year. She felt fear that she would lose her children, and so one of the things I advise, and, and I think I, it's for all of us, is when you have that moment of fear, part of it is we, we've got to actually get the right data, right? Because the data would show and information would show that if she's the mom, 95% of the time is doing 95% of the things for the children, then she should have some confidence in being the mother, that she's not going to lose her children. Even when the other person keeps saying, no, you could lose your children. You could lose your children. So one of the things I would just suggest for all of us to do is we must become more informed in our own relationships, and we must go deal with our insecurities. If your insecurity with your partner is that you can't make it financially, then right now, let's start working on that. What can you do to go be stronger financially? What can you do to start making sure you're getting ahead in that area? Because your insecurities make the storyline that you're the victim very easy, right? A lot of times with a narcissist, they don't need to hurt you. They just don't, might not even care about you. So you may actually stay in the pattern of not being cared for simply because you're not strong enough to go. I have seen so many times when one person in that uneven relationship is strong enough to start to understand. Holy cow! I'm dealing with a I'm dealing with a narcissistic partner, and that you can start to see the pattern, and you start to get yourself strong emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually, financially, intellectually. Once you start getting strong enough, you no longer have to play the victim to the partner to your partner. So one of my goals when I coach people is to get you strong enough to make the hard decisions that you might not normally make. And when you turn that on and you start making with power those decisions, it changes the game because now you're no longer going to be the victim. It doesn't mean if you're dealing with a narcissist, you're not going to have a fight on your hands, but you'll be more realistic about how the fight's going to go down. You'll be more informed about what your rights are and what you can do and what you can't do. So the key, one of the great antidotes, I think, is not to fight the narcissist or not to fight the other person as much as recognize the pattern, see what's going on, and you yourself start to get rid of your own fears. Get more educated, get more skills, get more tools, get more financial support. Go bring your family in to let them help support you and get strong enough because as soon as you're strong enough, then it's going to change the game. It's going to change the game. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be a fight, because there probably will be. But it also means you'll be strong enough to handle the fight. Anyway, that's the coach's corner, folks. Strength comes in knowledge and information, not just in uh, arguing the loudest and being the strongest, right, physically. Well, that's it. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us, folks. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. And man, have we got a great show for you today! It's uh, Kim Giles is in the house. She is our coach, one of our great coaches from C- um, Clarity Point Coaching. She's going to be teaching us. Really, if I'm gonna, if I'm a betting man, it's going to no matter what the topic is, it will involve fear overcoming. fear. We will be getting to Kim in just a minute, um, but we also, you know, uh, we got to get into the very basic political world. Jason Chaffetz now has announced he's going to be running for Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy, not quite cutting it since he made the – the uh, what, was, what would you call the comment? Um, everyone jokes that he made the fatal error of, poli- of all politicians when you say the truth.
4: Yeah. It's a version of the truth that people want to believe and it could possibly be the truth. But yeah. then people came out saying, that's not why we did it. And so you're not sure exactly what is the truth. But it does seem sort of revealing that you could have this alternative uh, motivation for the Benghazi uh, hearings is to derail Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And he said it. And, and he said, look,
2: there's the evidence there.
4: Heard polls numbers have been dropping. He
2: goes, look, we were successful. So <laughs> but even if that is the truth, you're not allowed to say that. You're not supposed to, yeah. I mean that just will, that will that'll hurt you politically, so Jason Chaffetz is now in the game, and uh, he his goal is to bridge the gap, bridge um, the gap about this game.
5: I will walk out of there and support the nominee. I hope it's me i 'm trying to fight for that, but if it 's Kevin McCarthy, I will support it, but he still has the math problem. It still can 't get to two hundred eighteen, and I hope we can avoid those problems, bridge the gap, turn the fight. Instead of internally, turn that fight to the Democrats and fight for the things that we all came to Congress for.
4: We we need to get back to destroying Hillary's poll numbers. So there's two groups, right? Yeah. One group that really has said no to, say, President Obama and his agenda or anything that's right. been going on. And then there's another group that's a bigger group in in the House that says no, but it's not, not as... Yeah, we'll, we'll work with you on okay, certain yeah, things. They're, they're not as yeah. in on the everything knows you know policies that have been out there and so those two groups think that the 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 other group it used to be the tea party now it's the freedom coalition freedom caucus caucus they don't believe that the rest of the republicans in the house are really as conservative as they should be yeah and so they want to take leadership so they can really bring this party to where the conservative level needs to be yeah and? Because they promised this to the people that elected them, and they ran on these things, and so we should follow through. And so that's what the bridge of the divide he's talking about is. They want to fix their house with the Republicans so right. that they can go and, and get through with their agenda that they're jointly united behind, well, the 40 guys running. There you have it. What, what, sort what, of. What else do you need? Anyway. So it's a house divided. It's
2: a house divided. And he also is saying, look. McCarthy is more of Boehner. Yes. Boehner obviously wasn't working. So we need, we need a change. We need, we need something different to happen. Um, and if we don't do that, then guess what's going to happen? It's not going to work.
5: We don't want to fight internally, but realistically, we can't vote to promote the existing leadership. And I think a new fresh face who says, how are we going to hold the line for the full political spectrum? I am not there to just perpetuate the status quo. I am not there to just do what you know, Mitch McConnell or, or the president wants to do. That's not what we were elected to do. No, that's not
2: what we were elected to do. So he's now in the game. This is
4: getting exciting. I love it when it gets exciting. In a very parliamentary sort of way, yeah, they will be very courteous. They will have their votes. They will do things in a certain order. It That's right. hopefully won't turn into what we saw. What the Japanese Parliament a couple of weeks ago was—they were voting on some shoes. things, and people are like charging the, yeah. the no. podium and It'll fighting. Be and, and then behind closed doors, someone's going to get a shiv. <laughs> Political shift, a political shift. Let's say. Not not actual. Yeah, nothing no will, will actually and, be shivved. Well, and and John Boehner. Uh, it's alleged that this this uh, the, the caucus came to to him and said that we were going to challenge your speakership, mm-hmm. and that would be part of the reason why he's he. He didn't down. want that big battle, and I think the reason Chaffetz is stepping up is because his Se-
2: the Secret Service application from many years ago has now been violated by the Secret Service, and they're. Trying to get that information out. Now he's going to get in there and he's going to clean house. That's
4: right. This is so exciting. Well, cool. Any other headlines going on, Terry? Lots of things going on. What's going on? Uh, Seven dead and historic floodings in South Carolina. The remnants of Hurricane Joaquin continue to slam South Carolina Sunday, prompting officials to warn residents to stay in their homes. Uh, Between five and seven people have died in the region. Here's Governor Nikki Haley
0: we haven't seen this level of rain in the low country in a thousand years that's how big this is this is an incident we've never had before because it's water and it's slow moving and it's sitting and we can't just take the water out
4: If you uh, see any of the the footage on the news, houses are flooded, sinkholes, uh, pickup trucks being flipped over on just what used to be the main street of tiny towns, people in boats. The the same kind of things, but it's it's huge. There's massive amounts of water. As she said, it's in the lowlands, so now there's the problem of getting it out. Yeah, how do you get all that out of there? And so it just becomes a problem that'll continue on probably for the remainder of this week as they try to assess the the situation there. Police said they have been, uh, they've thwarted a mass shooting plot in Northern California at a high school after arresting four teens. The Ptolemy, California high school students, all male, allegedly planned to come onto campus, shoot and kill as many people as possible. Uh, The teens confessed. Three were arrested Wednesday, fourth detained on Friday on suspicion to commit assault with deadly weapons. So they headed something off there. Hillary Clinton, Democratic presidential candidate, is expected to release a proposal for tighter gun control vowing to Use executive authority if Congress refuses to act in what she calls common-sense legislation. Clinton will unveil her plan today with measures that include cracking down on high-volume gun sales uh, sellers at gun shows by requiring them to be covered by the same rules that apply to gun stores. Clinton has said she wants to lead a national movement to counter the National Rifle Association as Oregon reels from yet another American mass shooting at a community college that left 10 people dead. That'll be fun. So that should be interesting. She'll take care of that. See how far she can get with that. The trade negotiators from the U.S. and Japan and 10 other Pacific Rim nations reached agreement in the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, the TPP, if you remember us talking about that (laughs) several weeks ago, that caused uproar and people are angry and it's going to ruin a generation. Washington Post, after nearly uh, reports that it's the largest free trade uh, accord in a generation, the agreement comes after nearly eight years of negotiation. Five days of talks between officials of the 12 nations. The deal will eliminate trade barriers, establish commercial rules for Pacific Rim countries that represent an estimated 40% of the world's economy. Next up, getting the deal ratified in all 12 member nations with one of the biggest question marks being U.S. Congress. Who's busy trying to figure out who's going to be leading Congress? Good luck with
2: that. They're a little busy this week. So
4: we'll see if they get to that. Um, Have you heard of something called cute aggression? Uh, Yeah. Ben uses it every day. Cute aggression. It's so cute. Seeing something cute can bring out a type of verbal and physical aggression in some people, according to a recent study. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you felt this way. You see a photo of a puppy or you watch a a video of a baby giggling and you can't help but grit your teeth, (sighs) ball up your hands, and scream out something to the fact of, I can't handle this. It's just too cute.
7: You're a monster. Who would do that?
4: Whenever you're looking at, whatever you're looking at is so adorable, it actually drives you crazy. The feeling is similar uh, to a loss yeah. of control. Researchers have two theories for it. One, uh, r- one reason such cute photos drives us to w- so wild is because we can't reach out and give in to the natural care instinct. It's okay. just a photograph, yeah. right? Yeah. The more important theory is that such cuteness is too much of a good thing and we're overwhelmed. To regulate these emotions, we give the positive feeling a bit of negativity. Oh. This happens in other ways, too. Like if you're happy, you cry. How about another
2: theory? Okay. You're just an evil spawn of darkness, <laughs> and you see something cute, and you just want to bite its head off. So okay. th-
3: this could be an explanation for when you look across at me, Matt, yeah. and you just start yelling. Yeah. I think that's the same kind of thing. Well, cute, and cute no, no,
2: that's different, because when I'm yelling, you're usually asleep and i'm trying to get your attention and you've got a headset on yeah you're like and, and you're listening to Barry Manilow.
3: <laughs> and i'm but i'm cutely asleep
2: not, not so a, not it's not acute no, it's yeah, cute more acutely but yeah not cute
4: so do you think that's a real thing i do i do i cute that, aggression yeah and you can tell some people
2: oh look at these kitties look yeah. at the kitten
4: yeah every day in the office <sighs> yeah
2: did you notice have you ever walked up on ben no i tried to steer clear today sneak up Make okay. up and just walk, look what he's looking at. Is it kittens? It's always kittens. Oh, so much of that on the web—it's a problem. It needs he, to be addressed. His favorite mix are cooking with kittens. Yes. And he just there's some guy that just sets the kitten on the counter. It's actually a they, YouTube channel. It's a YouTube channel cooking yeah. with kittens, and
4: he, he just, goes, "I'll make an omelet today," and he yeah. sets the cat down yeah. and then oh. starts making an omelet. Now the, like, the, oh. the cat is never involved in the meal. No. Well, that that, that's is... not
3: completely true. Sometimes it is. So, so sometimes the cat is in the meal. Whoa, Ew.
2: whoa! That just got dark. Wow! Did you? That just got dark. Anyway, we're out of here. Uh, don't take the mic away from Ben. Don't let Ben talk anymore. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us from Clarity Point Coaching. Today, she's going to help us address the unique ways that we can worry less. What if we could just let some stuff go, for heaven's sakes? Lose the worries. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Don't worry... Be happy, man. You know, uh, joining us in studio, Kim Giles. Uh, she's one of our favorites here. She's from Clarity Point Life Coaching and is uh, on the show every other week. She's a top thought leader, advice guru, one of the top 20 in the country, according to Good Morning America. One of the top five in the galaxy, according to the Matt Townsend Show.
11: That gets better every week. I know.
2: Yeah. You, but you are. You're, you are you're very abundant and caring and smart, and you're going to teach us how to not worry.
11: Yeah, we need to worry less. It's I a know. waste Get of time over it. and energy. It yeah. really is. We spend too much of our time.
2: Worry here. is all in the future. Is I mean, it's isn't it? It's like me living in the present. I mean, it's me worrying in the present about something that might happen.
11: That might happen. And actually, they've done some studies that have shown most of the things we worry about are never going to happen. Not going to happen. And the bad things that do happen... Most of those are out of your control to the yeah. extent that no amount of worry would have done you any good to begin with. Yeah. Everybody hear that.
2: So it's they're a not going to happen, and if they do, energy. you couldn't have done anything anyway.
11: Yeah,
2: and that's the data. Data shows that, but we still want to worry.
11: It's it's in our subconscious programming to fear to yeah. fear all these things that could make that could take from our quality of life, and and we need to resist that. It's it's part of our scarcity yeah. programming.
2: Oh yeah, but. Some I mean some people love it like some people this is like their hobby
11: well we can use it to get attention yeah to get sympathy love you know a good self-pity worry story Ugh. makes you the center of attention but then
2: eventually it actually doesn't get you attention because everyone gives up on you because they're so tired of hearing it
11: yeah you be, you really become a drain on people if you're constantly living here and and Think about that. You know, if you know this is an issue in your life, it is taking a toll on your family.
7: Right.
11: The the negative energy that you're creating, you're bringing free, fear into your interactions. And Matt, one of the things I'll often have my clients do is, is we're going to do a tally yes. today Okay. or maybe this week of every interaction you have with your spouse or your children. And so after every interaction, you've got to give yourself a point if it was a love Based interaction or if it was a fear-based interaction. Okay, yeah. And when you start to see it on paper, it'll blow you away. How many of your re- interactions are, please be careful, don't, you know. Interesting, <laughs> yeah. Make sure you look both ways before you cross the street. Right. Are are we constantly in worry state? Because bringing that much fear into our relationships takes away the love that could be there, we can't do fear and love at the same time. It's one or the other.
2: So if you're going to tell your child goodbye and you're kissing him goodbye and sending him to school, you can do that kind of out of fear or out of love. So that's, that's interesting because it it's is. real. Because all of a sudden you're like, I'd be thinking, man, mom, this world's sure <laughs> unsafe because you're neurotic right now.
11: Yeah. And you can really teach your kids a very fear-based mindset to fear life, which will cause a lot of suffering yeah. for them. So teach them to trust teach them to trust God and the universe and, and that their journey is going to be an interesting education and do we need to be wise absolutely sure I mean we do need to teach our kids to look both ways as we cross the street right. and to be smart but there's a big difference between wisdom and fear That's right don't you think no
2: yeah, totally absolutely and and I think if we model it for our kids then then I mean you can just say hey w- watch both ways when you're look both ways when you're crossing the street no I love you you're gonna be great today today's the day that you're gonna Make yeah, that a has a lot
11: less fear energy around it's, it, right? for sure. And you
2: can still be clear. Don't get hit by a car, but you wouldn't say don't get hit by a car. Look both ways. <laughs> tell them what you want them to do. I want you to Or that car walk the is going to hit you. Yeah, and, and know yeah. that you're amazing. You're strong. You can figure this out. You'll be great.
11: Yeah, there's a, a better way to do it. But instead we But worry. if you are fighting it in your head, yeah. and this is an all-day,
7: every-minute yeah. th- thing, how do you which get for rid of a that. lot of
11: people it is. Okay, so there's a lot of... There's a bunch of tips we yeah. can go over today. Um first of all, understand that it is not spending time in worry is not going to take the problems from tomorrow. It's going to take the joy from today.
2: Interesting. So when you're worrying, you're paying you're actually borrowing tomorrow
11: the pain that could maybe be there tomorrow and, and enjoying it today. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's crazy. It
11: makes no sense. And and a lot of people feel like they don't have control over those thoughts in yeah. their head. And, and I will tell you, you don't necessarily have control over your subconscious programming. So if right. you grew up in a worry-prone household and this has become part of your programming, that's true. But you do have the ability to consciously recognize this is where you are. Right. And at that moment, you do have control.
7: And
2: so that's the key is – and the way we recognize, I'm assuming, is what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you obsessed with right now?
11: Yeah, being aware of your thoughts and where you're spending yeah. your energy, what's going on in your head—that mindfulness has got to be the first
7: step. So,
2: if you're noticing that your head's in tomorrow or frantic or fretting about something, that is—that's a sign that you need to you need to do some things right
7: now.
11: Yeah. So, the first thing you better do is—is is really honestly ask yourself: Is there something I could do right now? To help solve this problem. Yeah. And if there is something you could do right now, do it. Yeah. Maybe there's something I could do later, so I'm gonna make myself a note to do that actual activity that could positively affect the outcome of this. But if there's nothing you can do about it, then it's a complete waste of your time to be there.
2: That's true. <laughs> well, I guess I guess there really could always be something you could do about it because you could always work on your thinking. Absolutely. Right? So, yeah, this might – I mean, okay, I guess what I could do is think of something healthier.
11: Well, it's a great chance to recognize maybe this is my learning moment of the day chance to practice yeah. being in control of my mindset. And and I teach my clients just plan on a couple times a day a lesson is going to show up. Sure. And most of those are a chance for you to practice patience, for you to practice trust – and, and that's why these experiences are showing up. They're
2: and helping see, you that's grow. Great. And when you see it that way, then it's not like, ah, oh, jeez, Stacy's interrupting me again. It's You see it as an opportunity. Ooh, so, opportunity. I instead, yeah, it's a practice moment. And then if you recognize it's a practice moment, you can get pretty close to nailing it.
11: Well, and you'll take it less personally. You'll be less emotional yeah. about it if you can just see that's it as a, as us, a yeah. lesson. Uh, I always remind my clients there's a difference between worrying and planning, and it is perfectly okay to think through the challenges that you have coming in the future and what you're going to actively do. That's planning. That's wisdom again. Worrying is a totally different energy behind it. There's no trust. There's no wisdom. It's just sort of panic Uh, and fear.
2: (laughs) uh, No, totally. Yeah. There's, There's not a lot of benefit to the worry. Yeah. Planning, preparation, those are powerful.
11: So I have one other funny little game that I'll play with my clients that are really struggling with worry, especially if this is all day long. I can't stop. It's an all day long thing. I have them imagine that they've got a little dark closet in their head, this Mm -hmm. worry closet. And every time the worry shows up, you're just going to put it in that closet and shut the door and lock it. You know it's still in there. Yeah. It's up there. It's still there. But it's not in the forefront of your mind because you've locked it in the closet. You've locked it in the closet. So every time it shows up, put it in the closet. Shows up again, put it in the closet. Keep doing that. Yeah. And then you're going to set aside a time in your day, usually later in the day – when you're going to spend an hour in the closet,
2: you're going to go clean it up,
11: and you can go in there and dwell in the worry and just process it. Oh, and just and bathe in
2: it, just soak it. it up.
11: Yeah, and it's funny that when you set aside time to do that, it's actually kind of hard
2: well, like who to, wants do, to it do it at do the that? same
11: level. This seems stupid to spend an hour.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why would I want to here go? Doing that? That's. So- <laughs> It's like, yeah, now I've lost all desire to go into that closet.
11: Yeah, especially if you almost have some fun with it and really just suffer. Yeah, yeah. Suffer over it. Give yourself just as much misery as you can for an hour that and you'll so laugh scary. at yourself.
7: Right. Well,
2: then all of a sudden you're thinking that is, that is stupid. It is. Uh, so if I can put it in the closet, I really will not want to go back there.
11: Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people who have trouble falling asleep at night. I can be this way because the worries all start. So either if there's something you could write down, I like to keep a paper and pen by my bed so I can write it down and say, okay, now this is something I'll deal with tomorrow. Or if there's nothing you could do about it anyway, put it in the closet. It'll still be there tomorrow.
2: Well, others just go medicate. Like I took a NyQuil (laughs) last night. and uh,
11: All your worries went away?
2: Everything went away. Even my ability to control drool—it yeah, all went NyQuil away.
11: Michael can have that effect. That's not the best way. You shouldn't to medicate, it. right?
2: You shouldn't <laughs> medicate your way out of this. Put stuff in the closet, lock it up. You can go back and just wallow in it. That's better way. Bleh. For sure. Okay, you know what? Let's take a break. I know you got more. Okay, I got more. Kim Giles here, folks, from Clarity Point Coaching. Go to her website, ClarityPointCoaching.com. You can also take the fear assessment. She's got a lot of stuff on the site that you can go do and take the fear assessment and find out if you're driven by fear. If it's in your your programming, you'll know. We'll be right back. More with Kim Giles right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a lot of worries in your life? You just are you incapable of letting some things go? Well, guess what? We've got a pro here. Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching is here to teach us uh, some unique ways to let stuff go. We gotta let it go, and instead of medicating it to be gone, or just trying to forget about it. There's other ways we could do it. One thing you can do is take those fears when you see them, lock them in a closet in your brain, and I'll bring them out later. And you're going to actually give them time to bring them out.
11: Yep. And there are some positive things that you can do to literally process through some of the worries in a more positive way. First of all, I'd like my clients to figure out what in this situation is actually in your control. Yeah, And is your responsibility and what's not? And it really helps to write this stuff down on paper. When you see on paper, your list of what's in your control is going to be pretty short.
2: Tiny. So if you can't control it and you're worrying about it, then...
11: It does you no good.
2: Yeah. It only increases your worry, not your control.
11: Absolutely. Yeah. So first thing, figure out what is actually in your control. And then we want you to become more solution-focused than problem-focused. We get so caught up in how big the problem is that we're not even looking at possible solutions. So another exercise you can do during your hour of dwelling in the closet is get out some paper and brainstorm – solutions yeah. but don't stop until you have at least 50 i love that now this will make you really stretch and yeah. you'll have to get very creative and and i even encourage my clients to get a little funny yeah come up with ridiculous you'd sometimes be, it's the be good ridiculous one, Oh,
2: every one of mine would be ridiculous <laughs> but sometimes that makes it better because you stretch your you stretch reality when you get a little more goofy about stuff and sometimes you that you bounce back and you can you can see a whole new answer you never would have
7: thought of before.
11: Well, they've actually done studies, Matt. They've shown people like a really sad movie and then given them problems yeah. and math stuff to solve. And then they've shown them a really funny movie and had them solve problems. And they solve problems better yeah. when they're in that laughter, fun yeah. mindset. Hip, so. and
2: exa- that's what I find too. Just laughing at stuff, it opens the mind. But it's because we're not – even if you're talking about the problem, you're not talking about the dark, ugly side of the problem. You're you, you're talking about the hopeful side of fixing it. Sure. There's hope in <laughs> laughter and solution.
7: I love so that. So let
11: yourself go there and, and brainstorm and get focused on all the miraculous ways this problem could be solved. Yeah. And then go through and really look at what's realistic and find a very love-motivated option that's probably going to be your best solution. Yeah. Now, you know, fear is my big thing because I honestly yeah. believe most of our problems are based in our fears. And and worry is really based in a subconscious idea or belief that we have that life is dangerous, that there are all these terrible things that could go wrong and we could be taken from. I mean, we believe that loss is right. a possibility. Yeah. And years ago, I, I started to kind of look at all of these bad things that can go on in life. And I really started asking the question, do I believe these were all random bad luck? Yeah. Or do I believe that my life has meaning and purpose? And you know I'm a big Viktor Frankl Absolutely. fan. Absolutely. And, and Viktor Frankl, in those concentration camps during World War II, you know, things were bad. He, he had a lot to worry about. I couldn't imagine a worse situation. And he recognized that he has the power to choose – if this is just bad luck that he's ended up here, or if his life has meaning and purpose, and that things happen for a reason and and when you can see reason for things are happening in your life, it does make you suffer less, yeah, so one of the things I really teach my clients, if we can change our fundamental belief about the universe itself and and the the belief that I've chosen is one that God has created this amazing universe to be my classroom to help me grow and learn and become the person he wants me to b- believe. And I find most people relate with yeah, that absolutely. feeling that feels like truth to us. Yeah. So if that's true, is the classroom wise? Is it a teacher that knows what it's doing? Right. I believe it is. I look at everything God's created and I see order everywhere. Perfect order in the universe, in nature. I mean, the fact that our human bodies function is oh, amazing. Absolutely. So order everywhere. I really don't think God has left my growth in education completely up to chaos. No. I think I have free agency and I make choices all day, every day. But the universe is this wise teacher that works with my choices to create my perfect classroom yeah. all the time.
2: So then all of a sudden, if I guess if I frame it that way, I don't need to worry because it will always be for my learning.
11: Yeah, really, the universe is constantly conspiring to serve you. And even the bad things that happen that are really difficult yeah. are actually there to serve your growth, to help you become stronger and wiser and more loving. And if you saw it this way, you really can't have loss.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because no whatever matter you what, lose, there's gain. There's gain. There's, I guess there's tangible, you know, temporary loss. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking longer term, full spectrum, past, present, future –
11: you can't, you can't lose it unless it. it's going to serve you at some level. That's right. To go through that experience. Yeah, it's almost
2: it just transfers from like losing somebody that you love. They might pass on, but you can go through that with love, and they're still with you.
11: And of course, you're going to experience loss. Yeah. You have to because you loved that person. So there's attachment there, and you're you're going to grieve and have loss. But you will suffer less yeah. if you trust God in the universe that all things in the end are serving our growth and our wisdom and our right. empathy and but there's a
2: net gain because there is a gain and the gain the gain would just almost and that's what maybe makes it harder is it's it seems less tangible it's an intangible it's like a it's a concept it's a feeling it's a learning it's wisdom
11: yeah it's a belief and an it's idea a
2: yeah it's not a body.
11: So one of the things Viktor Frankl did, he asked people to go back to these terrible experiences in their past and see if they could name 10 positives that were created because oh, of the bad Victor. thing. Yeah. And I I have all my clients do this exercise as part of a, a process of learning to forgive and let go of things in our past. But the more you do that, the more you will also have less worry about your future because you will trust God in the universe, that good things are going to come no matter what happens. And if we just choose to trust the process of life, we'll worry less, yeah. we'll suffer less, we'll be happier. And that one mindset shift of seeing the world that as a wise teacher trying to serve you instead of this dangerous place that's trying to crush you. Yeah, it's you, gonna
7: kill you. Yeah.
11: It'll change everything. If right. You can change that one fundamental. And belief.
2: that and then your fears then your then your energy is being used to Absorb the learning instead of avoiding pain.
11: Absolutely, I love that. Yeah. Now, um, this uncertainty, I think, is part of what scares us, though, because yeah. we never know what's coming around the next corner. Right. If it could be good. It could be bad. But, but try to remember: if we knew everything that was going to happen, there would be no lesson. We right. we wouldn't grow. Uncertainty is part of the classroom.
2: Well, there'd be no joy. There'd be no surprise. Really, I it mean, w- li- life wouldn't would be life pretty, be boring? Yeah be well, totally boring. Yeah.
11: So it, it's part of the grand adventure it's, that it's got to be it's what it's unknown. about. I
2: love that. Well, that's a great
11: but thought. I do believe that if, if I have no idea of knowing what's around the next corner,
7: mm-hmm.
11: it might be bad, might be good. We have no way to know. That leaves me in this moment today with two choices, to suffer today because it might be bad or to have joy today because it might be good. Right. How do you want to live today? Yeah. Those are your choices.
2: That's right. No, today we got to have party.
11: Absolutely, Today makes no sense party. to choose anything else. That's right. But be optimistic and choose joy every day.
2: And even when, even if tomorrow goes bad, you still have two choices. How are you going to frame this? Right. Joy or horrible.
11: So we've got to remember that fear and suffering is largely a choice. Oh,
7: it's big.
11: And I know everybody hates to hear that, that, but it's, it's so real. easy it's totally to right. say it's out of my control, Matt. I can't help it. Yeah. That I feel this way, but we do have control that's another amazing thing victor frankl taught us that the last of the human freedoms yeah, is the power true. to choose how you're going to feel in this moment and most of mankind doesn't use the power
2: no we we yeah, we, don't we, we, claim we give it. it up yeah that just doesn't seem like the right plan
11: it's not
2: you got to you got to own your agency good stuff man kim you did it again clarity point coachings the website and go take the fear assessment, and then you can get underneath more. There's a 1,000 resources that are all free. It's like a smorgasbord.
0: Well, well, she can coach you, folks.
2: <laughs> Kim, you're awesome. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Thank you. Well done. Thanks for, Thanks for having you me. You know what? I don't even have any worries anymore.
11: They're all gone They're after gone. today. Yeah. We succeeded. Well, all right. I'll I'll no have more in will about 10 tonight. No
2: NyQuil tonight. <laughs> trying to get rid of that. <laughs> Thanks, right. Kim. You're the best. We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, their take on the the BYU-Connecticut game. Also want to uh, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to uh, shoot it down to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, John! man. Hello, Matthew. How are you?
9: We are good. fantastic. It feels good to win again.
2: It does, doesn't it? Did you like how they won? Uh,
9: a win is a win is a win.
2: Yeah. You sound no. like my mother.
9: Uh, I mean, it.
1: it it's Connecticut. It shouldn't have been that close whatever like you win you know does it mean that BYU is going to struggle against ECU or Cincy maybe I don't know that that's where it lends you a little bit right winning fantastic then you go from there and you go hey offense uh finish some drives defense way to make some plays and keep the offense in the game offense way to take advantage of the defensive big plays you know and they fed off each other uh but ultimately to me the defense won the day
2: yeah right you know, it's I guess it's also you win, so the win's good and it's learning. So now we can say okay, this is what we got to do here. We got to tighten this up. We've got a lot of people injured. We're trying to fix find out what's going to work now. I mean, I guess that's all sports is about is continuous learning.
1: That's the fun part. You have the the medium for growth is the game each week and it's only once a week and there's a lot of build up and there's only 12 or 13 a year. I mean, after this week we're halfway through the yeah. regular season, which is crazy, totally crazy, and th- and this is a different BYU team than the one that beat Nebraska, than the one that challenged UCLA, than the one that lost to Michigan. Um, so you see the variation in in these games. Yet we saw some growth from BYU, so that's exciting. And now they have East Carolina coming in Saturday, who's a better team than Connecticut? To me, mm. you know, twice the team that Connecticut is.
9: Everybody wants to learn through a win, and BYU certainly has plenty of opportunity to do that after Friday night because there were a lot of things that didn't go well for the offense once they got into scoring range. Yeah. But that BYU defense was consistent for most of the night. I can only think of one or two big plays they gave up. Other than that, very solid.
2: You guys, you got a whole show about this today. Why are we talking about this? I'm, we're still in your thunder.
9: Well, no, you're not stealing any thunder. Okay. It's getting people excited. How about ESPN's Trevor Maddich on the show? Though I will ask him whether or not BYU will be ranked again at any point this season. Mm. Interesting to hear what a national guy will yeah. have to say about that.
2: That's good. Great question. Okay. What else?
9: What else is on your show? BYU women's soccer just keeps winning. They are 10-1-1, ranked number six in the country. They're in position... To do something that they have not done in quite a while, and that is host a number of games, postseason NCAA tournament games at Southfield. That would be a huge that is cool. advantage. Yeah.
2: You know what? They, they're, I, I walk by that field every day. I go on a little walk to clear my head. they the walk the most
9: well-attended women's soccer team in the entire country right well, now. Are they really? Yeah.
2: It's cool. And they're killing it. And I love it. Plus, it's, it's a blood sport.
9: I like it. I do have a question huh? for you though. What? What should I introduce Jerem as on the show today, Matt? Give me, give me some uh, ideas.
2: Um, the next hurricane named after a J. <laughs> Not Joaquim. Jerome.
9: That is so good. What I'm totally using that. Use that.
2: Feel free to use it. Ask. Uh, you could do it as the crooner. He's a crooner. He's a singer. He busts into. Song every once in a while. Uh, Yoda wannabe.
9: Okay. S- stuff like that. Sensei. The man who the next hurricane with a J will be named after.
2: That's right. Yeah. That's good. That's fine with me. Put that on a meme.
9: I can't control it. I don't worry about it.
2: Did, <laughs> did, you, did you guys, by the way, did you hear about this uh, Blue Jays fan that got out of jury duty? No. This is so cool. You ought to use this. when it, you This know.
1: is from Canada, so who knows?
2: He said uh, he, got out of, he got out of jury duty because um, he's got a game. So they were basically – it was a murder trial, and according to the Ottawa Sun, the man had been selected as a juror in the murder trial. But he wrote a note to the, the judge saying, you know what? You got to get me out of this because I've got tickets to the playoff game in Toronto on October 8th, and I cannot <laughs> be there. He says, I've been waiting 20 years for this moment. Yeah. And you can't keep me on jury since, duty.
1: Since the Blue Jays – Beat the Twins in dramatic fashion. Joe Carter walk off. Do you remember Blair Joe? To win. I
2: remember that nineteen ninety three. You guys, listen to you.
1: So it's been twenty two years.
2: He said twenty, but you know what? That maybe he's up. Maybe it's he's not a, a true long fan. Time. Wow. But in the end, the judge said, "Okay, hope you have a great game." And they took him off. <laughs> so Canada, whatever you do, man. that's
9: insurance and no jury. Duty. That is fantastic. Credit to that guy though and for just being you. downright like. Straightforward yeah. and, hey, look, I can't miss this game.
2: Yeah, I would have said my wife was sick. I would have said something else. Probably, I would have lied. The
9: judge rewarded him for his complete honesty. That's exactly right. And because Certain the judge is probably okay. a
2: the, the judge is probably a Blue Jays fan.
9: <laughs> it has to be, <laughs> or at least a sports fan. Don't you think? Totally.
2: You guys see, I throw something at you. You didn't even know I was bringing that up, and all of a sudden you just start talking about it like you know. That's what makes you professional. When you know,
1: you know. You know?
2: You know, yeah. That, by the way, that was Jerem, the the next J name that will be used in a hurricane after Joaquin.
1: But it, yeah, but it will be pronounced as Jerome nationally.
9: Jerome. I'm trying to remember other guys that played on that 1993 Blue Jays team. Let me look it up for you. Kelly Gruber, John Olerud.
2: Oh, John Olerud. Do you remember that guy?
9: Was Roberto Alomar on that team? I'm
2: looking. I'm looking. Um... That, that was a good time.
9: Search, 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 search. Go, internet. Go, go, go.
2: Remember, this This is something we couldn't do years ago. Oh, and I searched apparently the wrong there team. There was
9: a Hernandez on that team, too. There was a Ricky... Oh, no, hold on. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty good guess.
2: Uh, Roberto Alomar. Yeah. Second base. Tony Fernandez, short step. Ricky Henderson, left field. Ricky Henderson. Joe Carter, right field. field. Yeah. Paul Molotar. Molotar. Molotar, oh. D.H.
9: Paul Moller was a good baseball player. That was a really good team. That was a great team. Holy cow. No That's... one breaks
1: down the 90-whatever Blue, Blue Jays, Jays <laughs> like the Matt Townsend show. John
2: Olerud, first base. John, John
1: Olerud, Olerud. The only man to ever Seattle wear a, a hard helmet at first base. Because he had a, a brain issue earlier in his life. And I just finished reading a Mariner's book.
2: I think he also had a really good uh, deal selling hard hats.
9: A deal or a deal?
2: A deal. Ever? I always say deal, but a deal. He had a well, deal.
9: I'm giving you a hard time because Jeremy gives me a hard time about that.
2: video no, I, I can't hear it otherwise. Can you hear it? I don't hear deal versus deal.
9: <laughs> no, dill or Dull.
2: deal, deal like
1: dill pickle.
2: No, that's a deal pickle. Duh. <laughs> I can't. I cannot distinguish the the two or three. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well,
9: always fun. Happy Monday.
2: Happy Monday and happy hey, Toronto Blue hey, Jays. Keep it real, man. Keep it real. Keep it real. real. It's the real deal. Real I'm going to go
1: get my, my, my fishing reel.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Jerome.
1: Brought to you by Phil Still. <laughs> Hurricane Jerome signing out. Phil Still.
2: See you guys. Have a great you Bye. Oh, they're crazy. Kill. They're making fun of my reel. I cannot hear it. I've had people comment on that for years. It's like, what's the deal? Get real. Um, We have some interesting news in, though, by the way. this is This is... Seriously, crazy. Two stories I got to get to before we do our hero of the day. Uh, what would you do if you went to a, uh, you were invited to go to a wedding and then you didn't show up, but you got a bill, a bill. What is it? A bill? A bill. You got a bill for the for not showing up. Listen to this. It was a couple weeks ago. Jessica Baker was getting ready to go to a wedding with her husband when she got a call from her mom. She called at the last minute and had something come up and said, "I can't make it." Her mom was supposed to watch their kids, and since the invitation said no children, that meant no wedding. But then this week, she received a bill for the dinner that they were supposed to have enjoyed. The total came to seventy-five ninety.
8: Excellent.
2: <laughs> the cost reflects the amount paid by the bride and the groom for the meals that were RSVP'd for. Reimbursement and explanation for no show, uh, card, call, or text would have been appreciated. The note read, she has no plans on paying it. Guess, Excellent. Oh, but if you RSVP... You know, you should be on the hook, shouldn't you? Anyway, tragic, sad. And how about this one? This is just a bad story, too. When Li Meng started hearing scratching noises, she thought she might be sick or even thought she might be possessed by evil spirits. She heard these scratching noises. However, what she finally found out when she went to the hospital... (laughs) That is what the noise sounded like. The doctor discovered something unexpected in her ear a spider had been living in her ear. The spider may have been embedded into Lee's ear when the 25-year-old went for a hike with her boyfriend. After returning home that night, Lee says she began hearing a strange scratching sound that was occasionally accompanied by a sharp pain in her ear. Lee says she believed that she may have been cursed by evil spirits. Oh yeah, the the evil spirit of a spider. She even went uh, to a temple to pray for spirits to leave her Lee also took painkillers and anti-inflammatory medication to ease the pain, but none of the remedies seemed to work. About a week after the hike, Lee visited the doctor, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and during the examination, Chen discovered a spider living inside of Lee's troubled ear. The arachnid had apparently been weaving a web inside the ear cavity. Removing the spider was reportedly a difficult and painful ordeal, as the doctors attempted to. Um, as they attempt to do it, it created a really bad reaction in the spider. Spiders don't like to be removed from the inner ear. So if that didn't gross you out, oh, is that not a nightmare? That is like the worst thing that can happen to you. Blah. Actually, there's probably worse. Um, now, we always like to end the show on a, a good story, a healthy hero story, we call it, the Matt Townsend Show's hero of the day, is Chris Mintz. I'm sure you heard about him. He's a 30-year-old Army vet who survived combat uh, deployment and wished his son a happy sixth birthday on Thursday before heading to his first week of class at Umpqua Community College in Oregon. At 1038, a gunman began his rampage through the Snyder Building on campus um, an event that would leave ten dead, including the shooter, and by the end of the day um, by the end of the day, when all had uh, gone down, he said the attack when it began, Mintz didn't try to flee in an act of heroism. Mintz charged the gunman in an effort to save others. He was shot at least five times as a result, wounded on the floor, Mintz was overheard repeating it's my son's birthday, it's my son's birthday." Mintz has since undergone at least one surgery, and his cousin reports he is expected to recover. From what I'm hearing, he's fine, the cousins, Derek Bourgeau said, but he's going to have to learn to walk again. The UCC gunman reportedly wrote in a blog post on August 31st that it seems that, more people, uh, that the more people you kill, the more you're in the limelight. Many publications, as well as the Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon, have refused to identify the gunman, or otherwise giving him credit, he probably sought after. Some argue that Mintz is selfless and his heroism is what should be remembered on the about the events of that day. Let's remember the heroism of just average folks like Chris Mint, 30-year-old army vet who put his life in jeopardy to protect the rest of the people in that, uh, that tragic event. Um, let's no longer give attention to... Shooters and instead give the attention to the heroes, the true heroes of any event like that, those that uh, put their lives before others. Folks, that's why we do the show to help you find the good in the world. There is a lot of positive stuff, a lot of blessings that we're receiving daily, and uh, we want you to see them. It's not enough to just know how bad the world is. Let's all step up, play the role of hero when we can. Again, you can find this show uh, on iTunes, on TuneIn, it's all over. Look us up at BYUradio.org. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, we'll be back again. Take care of each other and make it a great one.